Warning, this episode contains foul language, graphic details, and is based purely on police reports, local accounts, and circumstantial evidence. For all things strange, unusual, paranormal, supernatural, creepy, sticky, gross, scary, and everything in between. Each week we sit down with one of our friends and we talk about something weird. This week is a super duper special edition true crime investigation of Keep It Weird. Is that a thing? Special edition, true crime edition, true crime I mean, investigation. I if Law and Order can do it and just like keep giving <laughs> yes. more and more titles, then dun, dun, dun. Yeah. yeah, keep okay, it weird. Cool. Special keep it edition. weird. Special edition. True crime investigation. My name is Ashley, and this is my very, very good friend Stephen Garland. Hello, hello. It's just the two of us today because we are in my hometown. We're actually in my parents' basement, <laughs> <laughs> where we have spent many days talking about murders and ghosts and aliens and and boys. So many, uh, so many of my like sleepless nights started here, talking about something scary that I then could not get out of my head and would just never sleep again. Would just never sleep yeah. again. <laughs> Probably a couple horror movies on this TV. Only it was a much older TV that was a lot bulkier than this svelte flat screen we have in front of us. I remember watching not Poltergeist. Um, this is one of your favorite movies, Demon Knight. No, we did. We definitely watched that oh, down here. We watched here. Demon Knight. I'm trying to think. Like we had a whole group of us from high school, and you were just like, "You guys haven't seen this movie. You all have to watch." And it was the it's the possession movie. What's that? Exorcist. Yes. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> I feel was... really bad. It was the Exorcist. <laughs> that's <laughs> but, pathetic. Yeah. No, but I remember like the crucifix scene. That's like obviously intentionally disturbing, and I remember me screaming in a like high pitched voice. <laughs> and the whole point was, guys, my parents are in the bedroom trying to sleep right now. Be quiet, even though you were watching the scary movie. It was a test that you gave us. It was a test. And I wanted I to see if you <laughs> so high pitched. I wanted to see loud. if you could be responsible human adults and, and I watch this one. I, I failed. Absolutely not. But Steven, what do you do? So I teach high school English just mm-hmm. outside of St. Louis, uh, Missouri, almost at Illinois. And that's what I've been doing for the last nine years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got, I got a degree at SIU Light, as, SIU you, Light. as you like to call it. <laughs> and uh, so I, Am I, I wrong, though? No, I mean, like, okay. <laughs> I feel like I have the best of both worlds because I also got to go down you to You got to do the Carbondale. partying at and the hang out with you guys, and then you got to have a better education at SIU Light. I mean, yeah, I did. I did really appreciate my education, but I also got to have like the party scene because I would come down and visit you every once in a while. Like Brett Carell would pick me up, and we yep. would go together to visit you and hang out, and those were good times. Yeah, Brett, you guys from ancient weird history. I think that's what we called mm. it, weird mm. history. Oh um, yeah, because Egyptians. Yeah, did yes, you do Egyptians? Yeah, I yeah. did Egyptians. He did Tesla. Yeah, yeah that was the, a good episode. the oscillating poop, poop platform. Machine. Yeah, 
<laughs> Which I would kill for. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. I'm totally in. Listeners, we are on like a really old... <laughs> leathery-ish couch so if you hear any squeaking or squawing or hissing because we have a very angry cat right like uncomfortably close to my head just so close (laughs) she's ready to murder (laughs) speaking of murder yes so this is a very special edition of the show because it's not like anything we've done before we usually you know kind of tell each other stories that we haven't heard and at the same time you get to listen to us tell each other stories we haven't heard but steven and i have been working on this since june yeah and it's sort of we're just talking about this crime and we're trying to tell you about this crazy thing that happened in our hometown that we became obsessed with and basically around he was actually you know what's funny it was on my sister's birthday it was june 6th of course it was (laughs) evil jamie i had uh, I had nothing to do. So naturally, I was looking up murders that happened in my hometown. And actually, Christina Worlds, our old friend uh, from high school, Chrissy, she was messaging me on Facebook about um, she joined that Centralia. We're from Centralia. You you know this. You all listen. We're from oh, the Centralia. Facebook group? Yes, the yeah. Centralia Memories group. Okay. And she had added me to the group. And she was basically telling me about, she was talking to me about a different murder that happened in our hometown. A woman who went missing, a high school student that went missing. This was back in like the 60s or 70s. And then they found her body by Murray Center. Do you know anything about this? Uh, Kind of. I also remember on that feed or on that thread, they were also talking about those two kids there was that whole satanic murder thing the satanic ritual murder thing yeah where centralia is great guys yeah centralia is a really (laughs) safe town you know most of the time this is brought to you by the centralia tourism board (laughs) she also sent me a murder of a man named john shakespeare in 1975 and i went down a rabbit hole i spent the entire evening looking up as much as I could find, which on the internet, there wasn't actually a ton. Yeah. Um, you kind of had to look up like newspaper clippings, but it's really kind of a shit show. If you're in, I don't know how people do this. I, you yeah. have to have some clearances because I don't understand how people investigate unsolved murders without like a password. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I I filled out several sites. FOIA requests to get just basically patronized by our government they were just like "Mm, you it doesn't sound like you actually need this (laughs) yeah i feel like you don't need this information so basically i went down this rabbit hole i spent hours and hours and hours i had all these crazy theories in my head and then i was texting steven a week later i was like oh by the way have you heard about this and he was like no and he got involved and we got like our cork board with our red string (laughs) and we're like making these connections and we went a little we went a little overboard, but it, it actually deep. turned out, yeah, it turned out great because now we have this probably nine hour episode for you guys <laughs> where we're discussing uh, this murder. And what was interesting to both of us, what really made us kind of obsess over this murder is, and, and you guys will find out very soon, it's not just a guy was shot in the street. Yeah, It's a pretty crazy murder of a very wealthy and a man who was pretty big in the town yeah just 
so well known um not just his eccentricities but he was also involved you know he, he was involved in the town yeah his yeah. Uh, car collection was used in parades like oh, yeah. yeah he was he was someone everyone knew and Stephen and i had never heard any of this not we had a, never heard of it at all not a single word yeah i i mean we grew up in this town and as we started researching even we found out Everybody apparently has an opinion that they have just been keeping <laughs> yeah. to themselves for quite some time now. Forever. And the thing is, is like all the names that we've come across in all of our research and all these newspapers, they're the names of the, the parents and grandparents of friends that we grew up with. Like this is a very involved story. We know all the players in the story. And actually one of my favorite things is I asked my dad... Like the day after June seventh, hmm. I asked my dad. I said, "Hey, do you um, do you know anything about the murder of John Shakespeare? His name's John Shakespeare. Do you know anything about the murder of John Shakespeare?" And he goes, "I was wondering when you were going to ask about that." And I was like, "Did you murder him? <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, don't put it past <laughs> yeah. Ronnie. Like, that just seems so. His reaction is genuine, yeah. also. But I mean, I've definitely." spent some nights wondering whether or not your father has taken a life you know? <laughs> has murdered people yeah. in cold blood <laughs> and been paid for it yeah, or mean, maybe he just enjoys it you I don't spent know. a lot of your childhood thinking he was hulk hogan yeah and what we found was that hulk hogan was more complicated than we thought turns so. out hulk hogan got some issues yeah ron cassidy might be a murderer maybe <laughs> No, he was like, I was wondering when you were going to ask me about that. And I was like, what do you, what does that mean? <laughs> and he was like, no, you're just so into this stuff. And, you know, I, I knew that eventually you'd stumble upon it. And it was like, well, do you have opinions about it? Slash, like, where were you at? You know I'm into this stuff. Yeah, hello. Like, just not going to. should have been like. We could have bonded. Yeah, I should have been three years old. And you would have been like, <laughs> so let me tell you about this murder. I'm going to tell you all about it. No, but he basically was just like, yeah, no one talks about that. Yeah, and, and I was like, accurate. okay, now, now I have to research this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so basically today we're going to be going from the beginning to the end of our investigation. We're going to tell you who this man was, how he was murdered, who the key players are in the investigation, who the key players are in the crime. And we're going to branch out and show you kind of... The many different avenues that this story unfolded into. There's a lot of stuff that we found that is fantastical. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff that we found that none of it. I don't. I don't think any of it is a stretch, but I do think that a lot of it is kind of tangential, right? Yeah. There, there's a lot of investigative. Maybe not leaps, but okay, this all fits into this line of investigation. I'm going to go travel three hours to look into this in a different space because yeah. I've got questions. It, it went to weird places. It went to very weird places. And, and we do have to say before we get into it that we are not accusing anyone of this crime. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We are not saying that anyone absolutely did this crime. Everything that you hear on this show... If we don't say the word allegedly in your head, just put the word allegedly in front of the uh, thing that we're saying because there is no hard evidence. Everything that we're saying is speculative. No one knows what happened. Yeah, we've got we've got some stories to tell. We have stories to tell. The validity is sometimes questionable based on the source and yeah. sometimes it's 
this did happen but we're going to have to speculate on why because there no one commented on their motives throughout yeah. this but everything that we talk about today is found in newspaper clippings or um and we'll let you know when it is a newspaper story like printed in a publication or when it is uh speculation from people in the town at that time yeah because there's a big difference and there, yeah, Ooh, the speculation goes <laughs> the speculation such is, crazy places. Yeah, the speculation's a little bananas. So I know one one point that you had made was you know this this murder being being unsolved. You had said that in 1965 the clearance rate for murder investigations was 90 percent, which was I mean that's incredibly high in general. Yeah, and it's way lower now, but it's still the number one. Like that's the crime that gets solved the most. Yeah. And it's now closer to like two thirds of murders get solved and one third just do not at all whatsoever. But in, in 19, I mean, obviously this happened 10 years after 1965 as well. So we were probably on the decline, but a lot of murders got solved. This is, it was odd that this was an unsolved murder. This, this wasn't something that people were like, oh, you know, some murders just don't get solved. Yeah. That wasn't the case. No, this was a unique, unique, yeah, unique situation, but it was also like, it was a high profile situation. Oh, it was, it, I mean, it made national headlines mm-hmm. and he was already making national headlines. His car collection was famous internationally. Yes. That was one thing. Well, we'll get into it. Yeah, we'll get yeah, into, yeah, yeah. um, we'll get into who this guy was actually. We'll go there first. John Shakespeare. Tell us about him. So this comes from the 40-year anniversary story that our newspaper, the Centralia Sentinel, wrote about John Shakespeare, which the newspaper itself actually comes into question later. So mm, like, keep yeah, that in so. mind, too. It gets, <laughs> this, Don't believe anything you hear. We, we're going to tell you it's hours. from a newspaper. <laughs> and we're then going to make you doubt that that was necessarily valid. And first of all, his oh, name yeah. was John William Shakespeare. Yeah, which like, come which, on, man. Here's the thing. Do you know how hard it was to research someone named John William Shakespeare? And his dad's name is William, William Shakespeare. Shakespeare. <laughs> so, I mean, we were just, I kept finding articles from not now, not not, now. not recently. <laughs> no. Articles from like 1880. The Lost Folios. Damn it. Like, no. That's not what I want. Be like, Romeo and Juliet was no. Yeah. Anyways, go on. Sorry. Uh, no, so, okay. But that yeah. was hard. That was hard to like it research was... a murder on William Shakespeare. And fortunately, oh, yeah, because I need to talk about how Ashley dropped this on me. Because if you're friends with Ashley and she says, check this out, it's basically spam, except your whole life gets spammed. Because <laughs> she sent me a folder with it. Like, I told her I was interested because obviously <laughs> I was. And then 30 minutes later, I had a Google Drive folder with at least 30 documents in it. <laughs> From like newspaper clippings and all the wild stuff was also involved in it. It was just, it was so much information. Yeah, I really and I, it on you. Well, and me being a teacher, I have summers off and there's always that period right after school gets out where I just need to like shut off my brain. I need to not be thinking about what all happened that school year and right. give myself time to process before I start working on the next year. And so I was just coming off of that cool down period and my brain was very hungry for, for something to do. Knowledge. And she gives me this and I have a two week rabbit hole easily where I just 
dove in. So he lived from 1905 to 1975, and he was born in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Grew up in a very uh, prosperous family because his father was the owner of the Shakespeare Rod and Reel Company. So people who are interested in fishing at all whatsoever probably still recognize that name. I actually, when I had brought it up to a couple people, they were like, well, yeah, like if you fish, you have a Shakespeare Rod. Because he, I was he like, oh. developed a, it doesn't tangle or something. I don't know. It, I it, know nothing about rods I, or fishing. I, when I was little, I used to just stand at the end of my dad's dock and fish. But I was also petrified of the fish that would be on the hook. So I would yeah. like scream until an adult came and got a fish <laughs> off of a hook. Oh, our fishing experiences are similar. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I wasn't the I didn't want to put the worm on the hook. I didn't want to get the fish off mm-hmm, the hook. But I mm-hmm. loved holding that pole. Yep. I, I could just stand there for a while. Like I get, when people talk about how boring fishing is i was like no that's the point yeah no that's, that's the best yeah part. you shut your brain off and you enjoy yourself you just look at the water ripple slowly and think about what direction your life's going in <laughs> at the time. and you're 12 so it's an endless possibility you know it is the ripple you become it <laughs> you become the ripple <laughs> okay so john was a graduate of carnegie tech and he studied math and physics. He was also very, very interested in economics. And we have some letters that he wrote that kind of go into that later, closer to his death. But he decided that he didn't want to be associated with the family. And so he moved to Centralia in 1950 from Evansville, Indiana, where he had been involved with the McCummings Drilling Company. And this was a chapter in his life when he got involved in some oil companies. So this is a company that actually existed. And I remember seeing like Shakespeare's name. The on Shakespeare stuff. Oil Company. Yeah. Yeah. Like this was a sign that I do remember. So his associate Harry Temple of Salem had sold his interest in the Shakespeare Oil Company in nineteen sixty five. So between nineteen fifty and nineteen sixty five, he was an investor in this company at the very least. It seems like he had some sort of leadership role, but I know that I read somewhere for the Shakespeare Oil Company, it was sort of like these guys wanted to start the oil company and John Shakespeare kind of fronted the money. To begin the oil company and then eventually ha- held stock in the oil company and then sold it when he left. Yeah, because one of the one of the leads that we try to follow up on were his other partners in that business because mm-hmm. of like when and how things got sold off. But he died a whole decade after he sold. Yeah, his I feel like it's yeah. So that, that was that was sort of a dead end. Yeah, that was something I was interested in too. Yeah, which also like good for them, good for the partners for not murdering him. Yeah, you know, just great like, for you guys. Regular buyout. Yeah. <laughs> Just a regular old business transaction. <laughs> no murder involved there. But then yeah, there know. was a murder. <laughs> but then there was a murder. Um, but yeah, do you want to talk about his Bugattis? Because yeah, AI hates saying that word. Bugatti? Yeah. I like I feel yeah. I'm unconfident. <laughs> I'm unconfident. <laughs> I feel like there's gonna be a listener Bugatti? that later like this idiot that you brought on doesn't know anything about cars. That's true, by the way. That's absolutely true. Yeah. If you Google the name John Shakespeare, what you will find is his famous Bugatti collection, if that's how you say it. He, at one point, had the largest Bugatti collection ever, ever, like that has ever, like in the world, not just like in the, right? Yeah. And I'm I'm thinking like, okay, but were there dealerships? Like, how did he have more than people who sell these for a living? But it seems true. Yeah, I and, and like he like Stephen said, I don't I also don't know anything about cars, so I don't know like why 
that special but apparently they're very expensive old cars well and he had uh, he had very limited edition ones too he had one that the model was specifically made for a prince whoa i didn't know that yeah he uh like i think i can't remember what it was called now i bet i could find it really quickly but it was this is this is where i lose my confidence because there's more words that i'm not really good at pronouncing (laughs) it was the one that he's like caressing in the photo like saying goodbye to his cars well, yeah, at one point he sold his collection and what was it, 30 something? Yeah, he Bugattis? had 30. Yeah, for the 30 cars. And it 30. was and he sold it for like nothing. Yeah, that was weird too. He sold it. I mean, maybe it could be like John Shakespeare was a very wealthy man. Mm-hmm. Even though he left his fa- he was like I don't want to be part of like the Shakespeare Rod and Reel company, he still had whatever money was given to him when his father passed away. Yeah. And then not only that, he made money off of oil and we don't even know what else he's involved in because I know at one point, um, like I said, researching this stuff is impossible. I feel like I don't understand how private investigators do this. We were denied access to many places like police stations. and But I know at one point it said that he was into um, like some sort of like building contracting as well oh okay so this guy just he had a life he was trying to be president sounds like (laughs) he was was the president yeah (laughs) so anyways he sold his bugatti collection for do you remember how much oh i think it was one hundred five thousand. i think i have it i I think i wrote that down because i was five thousand dollars for 30 rare european special model cars yeah like some of these there were only i know one of the cars he owned i think there were only 10 of them ever made and the entire collection he sold for $105,000. No, no, that's not even true. $105,000 was what he claimed they or what he claimed he invested, but he only made 85,000. 85,000 dollars on the sale. Yeah. He by 20,000. I will say though that apparently a lot of them were in horrible condition. And they were being stored, okay, so this isn't going to mean anything to most people, but they were being stored in Hoffman, Illinois, in what I'm assuming is just like a warehouse. Yeah, it was like a big shed essentially. And And I, they weren't being taken care of. I mean, this was before, I guess, like, I mean, major heists had existed up to this point. So I don't know why he felt so secure in them being there in the first place. No, neither do I. He's a mysterious guy. Yeah. And (laughs) it seems like there's uh, like some of his actions are absolutely a result of some type of paranoia already. Like he had Mm -hmm. like weird stuff in his house, too. Yeah. So I think that a lot of this came from security concerns. Like he didn't want to feel responsible for having them. And he wanted them to just like get gone at the quickest price possible. Yeah, because it definitely wasn't that he sold his collection because he needed money. Mm-hmm. He was very secure financially from what we can see. I Though mean, it was rumored in town, I know that was one of the rumors, was that he was hurting for money because he had like a gambling thing. Oh, really? But I, like th- that There's never a lot of any- town yeah, rumors. For sure. That re- never went anywhere. Regarding this thing that no one talked about for 40 years yeah. until we brought it up. I know. It was like, and this is like the height of the sexual revolution, but then we immediately went back to a puritanical society. So I think like the John Shakespeare stuff like really peaked during a time when people wanted to talk about weird stuff yeah. and then stopped wanting to like, you know, cocaine got really popular. People felt more confident. They stopped talking about <laughs> like, uncomfortable things. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> that's, that's as far as I'm concerned, like history <laughs> debunked. So he sold them to brothers Hans and Fritz Schlumpf, mm-hmm. who had made a fortune in the European textile business. Yeah, originally he asked for 105000 for the 30 cars, but it was 85000 including freight. And actually, like I said, if you Google him, you will see 
the selling of this collection was what was like so like he was he famous for at least in this part of the country there's pictures on the internet of him with all of his bugatti collection loaded on the train and the train going away with all these like fancy cars and it's so weird because these are train tracks that I've like we've driven over yeah. a million times. Mm-hmm. And my first thought when I saw these pictures was like, I wouldn't put anything I loved on these train tracks. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't know what I had against the rail system in our area because we have like a major rail system that goes through town. Well, yeah, our town Centralia. It's called Centralia because it's the center of so many rails that meet i'm not kidding (laughs) so when i drive into for example i live in the middle of nowhere or Mm -hmm, i mm -hmm. my parents live in the middle of nowhere when we go to town we have to pass four sets of train tracks just to get to like say my high school where i went to school on my way here it felt like serendipity because i got here and i was at the end of the road i could see that there was traffic stopped and that there was a train coming through and the second that i noticed it was the last car that went by and then it opened up and i was like i'm supposed to be here and <laughs> that's how to i be feel here at this like, exact moment being surrounded surrounded by train tracks though you do kind of start feeling that way it, like yeah. when you get stopped by a train track or a train you're just like mm, okay well i obviously wasn't meant to be on time like that's <laughs> That's what the universe is trying to tell yeah, me. Yeah, right unless now. you're Ron Cassidy's daughter, um, <laughs> who would literally leave for school. I remember having to wake up so insanely early for school because we would leave with 40 minutes to get to town. And he's like, because n- anything could happen. You could get stopped by two trains on the way to town. Yeah, it's like, true. cool. So we're going to show up at school and sit in your truck and listen to your god awful country music <laughs> for fucking half an hour because yeah. it only took 10 minutes to get here because we didn't happen to get stopped by a train. And well, now I have generalized anxiety disorder. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had, like you knew all the other ways too. We like the rest of us would want to come out and hang out over here and we would ride with Ashley and she would see a train and then take us down four roads that I had never even heard of they slash actually knew weren't even real roads it was just when my car turned on them the corn parted she, yeah, we just went off-roading <laughs> yeah. you know oh my gosh Didn't i remember so many times nightmare. you took me places I, I just didn't know existed around this yeah you're kind like i don't know where i am are we still in centralia are we in <laughs> illinois okay so at the time of Shakespeare's murder, there had been talk, like you said, that there was a large sum of money hidden somewhere in the house. Mm-hmm. This one says in one of the envelopes used to deposit monetary evidence in the bank, <laughs> there is a list of the bags of money found in the house and turned over to the First National Bank of Centralia for safekeeping. So he did keep money stashed away in the house and he had like a lot of foreign money as well like yeah he was a world traveler that's something we should mention about john shakespeare he was uh he made multiple trips to europe yeah i see uh, like some of the money listed in what got deposited was from mexico canada australia spain great britain france and the bahamas and nothing mentioned about Switzerland, but the, we do have records of him owning property in Switzerland. Yes, and he was planning a trip, right? Two weeks. Something very, very soon. Very soon he was taking a trip to Switzerland. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Yeah, entirely murdered. <laughs> <got> completely murdered. <laughs> not even half murdered. He it got was, 100% uh, murdered. Not, not a question. So the reason that like all of this is kind of fascinating and important is because... This is not a person that lives in Centralia, Illinois. No. We don't have people who take vacations to Europe. 
that live in Centralia, Illinois. We don't have people that own property in Switzerland and also Centralia, Illinois. And we have like, because our town is... We have rich people. Yeah, and it's it's economically segregated too, which is yes. like a big problem in a lot of Midwest mm-hmm. areas that there is like a very affluent single neighborhood, like singularly one neighborhood that's affluent. And then a lot of middle of the road neighborhoods and then there's the, the poor poorest section which is a whole big problem it's also a big problem with school funding because when you base school funding on property taxes and you you know racistly put a large portion of the african-american community in the poorest neighborhoods then you're basically dictating that they get the worst they get the quality of education yeah so lesson number one there are yeah for the episode just just in case you were looking for little nuggets just know that the education system is broken and that we treat black people poorly. Yeah, just so. just as a country. Uh, <laughs> so, but we do have like some affluent people in town. Like that is yeah, so absolutely. True. We have a lot of um, doctors. From we the have hospital. a lot of doctors. Yes, yeah. For being a very small city in the Midwest, we we do have a diverse. We we are probably the most diverse town within. A 45 minute Absolutely. drive. I mean, I talked to friends who went to high schools within an hour of us who are like, oh, we didn't, we had like one black kid and we had like, we didn't have any gay kids. And I was like, thank God yeah. <laughs> I went to Centralia Same. High School because holy hell. Yeah, no, I would, thank you. I mean, you wouldn't think, you wouldn't think in Centralia, Illinois, I'd be able to come out at 16 and not just want to bury my head in the sand for the next few yeah. years of high school. And I was able to do that in a way that felt still pretty safe yeah and you were never at risk of you might have been at risk of like bad jokes from insensitive people um but you weren't at risk of like getting murdered yeah and honestly the bad jokes even they stopped after i came out because it was like the power went away i came out and then i remember i think um one of the travises came up and said something uh like dropped the uh gay f word and my response was like what are you the news (laughs) <laughs> and that was the it, like I was already out like this. You have no power over me anymore. Yeah, like, that's just the truth. Now. That's just the truth now. So, it's not a go. joke. Yeah, all of this is important. I promise. Yeah. Anyways, John Shakespeare very out of place in Centralia, Illinois. It, it doesn't even seem that Centralia at the time was comfortable of him. Like that's one of the reasons he was so prominent that that's why everyone has a story about this. It seems because yeah, he was a strange guy. Him. Like mm-hmm. he used to just walk around in a pair of red shorts. Like, is that a thing? Yeah, no, that was like I remember <laughs> reading about that. That like that notably people who lived in town when they saw Shake, that's what they like. That's yeah, what he went by. Yeah, called him Shake. Um, they would see him just wearing like a pair, and he was you know sixty five at the time of his death, and this was mm-hmm. a story about this time that he would just walk around in a pair of like red shorty shorts, and that's it. <laughs> um, so like that, that's a sight to see, and it's not a sight that you would necessarily always see in Centralia. But I guess when you saw a somewhat older man walking around in some really tiny shorts, showing off all of his body, <laughs> that like there, there was the richest person in town right there pointing yeah. about. He was, I think he was handsome. Yeah, no, he, like in some um, of his pictures, yeah, he definitely. I mean, he was just. He was so out of place. And he was like at the. He was sophisticated yeah. and he was handsome and he was well groomed. He had those and like really piercing eyes. Had too. very piercing eyes. And actually, if you look up stories about him online, they actually describe him as having movie star 
looks because he's so captivating. He was a bachelor. I'm trying to think of everything that we could say about John Shakespeare before we get into the horrible stuff. Mm. He was a uh, he was a bachelor. Never married. uh, He ran the Explorer Scouts, not the Boy Scouts, which is a different group but basically the same thing right and it seemed like the only main difference was that explorer scouts would focus on different schools of learning at a certain point like once you got up the ladder you would focus on like some like there was an economics branch but that they also definitely went on more trips like there was a trip right before his murder i think that was supposed to happen up in canada they were supposed to take the scouts up to canada and that's why when his body was found, there were some scouts that were actually going to check on his house that day. Yes. Because they were supposed to leave, I think. Or they had some meeting happening that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was definitely... I mean, and there was some paranoia. Um, he had people... He had a person that we have record of him specifically saying to his... Uh, what would you call Ralph caretaker? Porter? Yeah, caretaker. I like. He it, wasn't like a caretaker, but he him. like he was a handyman around the house, yeah. and he yeah. But there was a conversation that was definitely noted. For him. Yeah, he, he was just sort of like yeah. He was just sort of a. I mean, he was a rich guy. He was like the the maid, not the maid, but like the yeah. house. He was a caretaker for sure. Yeah, like it. It was a strange situation because they also didn't talk a lot, which I found. Like, I don't know. Having never been affluent, I can't imagine having <laughs> yeah. someone in my life that, that I didn't like talk to every day, that, that I saw every day, that did all of my chores, that kept my house clean, and I didn't talk to. Yeah. And, and like but sometimes it would rich, actively avoid, so, it yeah. seems. Like they would be in the same room sometimes and not share a word. Mm-hmm. Remember. I need to find, myself. because I remember my mom had an opinion about this guy, because of course, of this course investigation has involved us calling our moms yeah. so much our parents our grandparents and pretty much anyone who would have been alive at that time or knew about knew john shakespeare knew about john shakespeare knows these players we've been calling <laughs> my dad actually one one story is that um john shakespeare i said you know did you know him and my dad was like you know well when i was a kid like before my dad went to vietnam john shakespeare had the only trampoline in town he also had the Ooh. only microwave in town. And like obviously people didn't go over there to like use his microwave, but mm-hmm. that was like the big thing. Like can you believe John Shakespeare has a microwave? And uh, he had a trampoline and he would allow like the neighborhood kids to jump on his trampoline. My dad actually jumped on this guy's trampoline when he was a kid. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so we should move forward. Yeah. John Shakespeare was murdered in 1975. He was found by his handyman, by his caretaker, Ralph Porter, who entered his home. This was May 7th, they believe, is when he was murdered, 1975. Ralph entered his home the following day, May 8th, um, did some work upstairs, then checked the basement for a new washer-dryer he was meant to install, and he saw Shake's feet peeking out from around a doorway, and he immediately ran upstairs and called the police. That after the police re- arrived, Explorer Scouts sent by Ron Goff arrived at Shake's home, noticed the police presence, and returned to Goff to let him know that something was wrong. Something was amiss. Yeah. Oh, and, and Ron Goff is an interesting character that we will come back to. Yes, we're going to come back to all of these players. This is just kind of the initial, like, what happened with the murder. So, the crime scene. John Shakespeare was found in his basement. 
His hands were handcuffed behind his back. His feet were tied with what appeared to be a torn shirt. Two towels were tied around his head. An extension cord was tied from his hands to his feet and around a piece of rigid conduit. So basically like a pipe, essentially. Yeah, he was was tied to a pipe. And uh, they couldn't tell at the time what the cause of death was. They knew that he was in a pool of blood and that the blood was coming from his head. But at the time, without the autopsy, they didn't know if he was shot in the head, if he was beaten to death, if he was whatever. And his head would have been covered, right? Because it was like... There was, yes. What was tied around? Towels? towels. He towels. had towels around his head. Yeah. He also had a blue handkerchief just outside the door of the laundry room where the victim was found. And he was taken to St. Mary's Hospital, Centralia, Illinois, uh, which is where my mom worked her entire life. Mm-hmm. And they found that he had been shot in the head once. One shot to the head. Now, the interesting part about this the like body and everything and what really kind of like started the investigation into the different paths of what it could be one the handyman said nothing was missing it didn't seem like anything was missing the house was not ransacked he had very expensive items that were very clearly left out Mm -hmm. which later he also changes that statement doesn't he he does change that there was a lot of statements that got changed very strange it's very interesting and we'll go over them and our opinions on maybe why this happened. Mm, but yeah. still, even if Ralph Porter, you know, kind of fudged about like what was missing and what wasn't missing, it's still like the place was not ransacked. Yeah. There was expensive stuff left out that if this was a robbery, they would have taken those things. Yeah. Right. Robbery did not seem like it was a motive. He also, it was, it was like an execution style killing. Yeah. Because he had, one shot to his head. Um, it did seem like there was a scratch on his body, like there was a struggle of some kind, but he was not beaten. No, yeah, there were no bruises. There were there were some cuts that they did not associate with struggle. Right. They found no signs of a struggle. No signs anywhere of a struggle. In the house. And anywhere somehow, in the house, and exactly. He was, he was uh kind of undressed too, wasn't he? Like he, I don't want to say yeah. he was down to the shorts. No. But I do think he was like in some state of undress Mm -hmm. while also being like weirdly covered up and bound. Yeah. At the same time. Bound with like random things. It almost seems like it wasn't planned. It seems like he wasn't bound with ropes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Handcuffed behind, like his hands were behind that pipe. His hands were handcuffed behind the pipe. But also somehow bound with electrical cord on feet and arms. But also the feet, yeah, were tied to his arms. Which is like kind of sounds hogtied, but if he's sitting down, then that can't be the case unless he's on like was found on his knees, still somehow upright, but also. I thought he was like laying on his side. I thought because I know when the Ralph reason Porter found that him, this is kind of like I don't know. I think I can't. I re- it's because the story changed several. It's times. so many times. So and we don't know which retelling of the tale is the true one. And we also don't know. Exactly. Like Ralph Porter claims that he walked downstairs, saw two feet kind of like checked around the corner, just saw two feet sticking out, like sitting down or something. Yeah. And ran back upstairs, knew that something was wrong, something was off and called the police immediately. Right. Which like, okay, I I can totally buy that (laughs) as a concept. But also this guy has free reign of this house all the time and often 
sees John Shakespeare doing things that I would classify as odd. Yeah, strange. And so the immediate assumption that like, okay, feet, this must be murder. I need to call the cops. Yeah, something's wrong. Sounds like, okay, but like, did you walk in and like poke around? Like, did you at least see something? You know, what? What did you actually experience? Because I understand wanting to make sure that your name is clear. You are clearly a top suspect. Like you have the yeah, most aspect. Yeah, you have a- access, most access to his house. Yeah, to his person. Now, one thing that was interesting as well is the like investigation of the the crime. So one thing that stands out to me: no body temperature was taken at the scene of the crime. And it seems to be common practice during that time it doesn't seem like they didn't do it because people didn't do that back then yeah it seems like everyone involved in this investigation who talks about that fact seems to think that that was an odd thing that happened during this investigation that somebody's job was definitely to take an inter- uh, like initial body time yeah yeah that was common practice the thing is it was 1975 so you know dna evidence was still it's in hardly, its infancy yeah. if and and it's in centralia illinois it didn't happen yeah they didn't yeah we didn't have that they didn't run they anything might through have, the lab yeah exactly they might have collected samples to save for a day that that is something that we can do and but i think they might have been checking for blood type during this time that they could test for blood type pretty easily but obviously to make sure that like all the blood was the, the same, same type yeah but the dna you know they could dust for fingerprints mm-hmm. that was a thing which they could draw a chalk outline yeah which does nothing yeah. and <laughs> and uh they could take pictures of them standing over a crumpled sheet on that's clearly on top of a body because that's definitely in both the original sentinel, sentinel yeah, article and right the 40 here. year anniversary is i can't remember uh, police chief chief of police simon franklin simon examining franklin. The evidence of the murder after Shakespeare's body was removed from his basement. There are some really good police names oh, in this story, yeah. too. Do you remember Kermit Justice? Kermit Justice. I can't wait to get to him. <laughs> he he was meant for fame. Yes, Kermit Justice. <laughs> no body temperature was taken at the scene of the crime, so the timeline of death is unknowable. No one knows. He could have died anywhere between Wednesday night and Thursday afternoon or evening. An interesting note that you wrote down the day before Shakespeare's body was discovered, the handyman arrived for work to find Shake's back door had the window shattered out. He replaced the window with a screen and noted that the door broke after a hard slam um, and it broke several times in the past. So he didn't think anything of it. And it could be nothing because it had broken several times in the past. And weirdly, okay, so because this is both odd and makes sense at the same time which a lot of this investigation is that yeah but he didn't replace it with a glass window this time he replaced it with a screen and it's the first time that he did that and so it seemed like odd timing but it definitely makes sense like if you just keep breaking it because that yeah, door just, just keeps put a screen and i'm like, so tired of replacing this window. why put a glass window in but why would this one the day before this murder occurs why would this be the time to replace the glass with a screen as opposed to just replacing with glass. And and like also possibility that they were ordering the glass and just had the screen because this thing breaks all the time. Right. And, and the also, glass hadn't come in yet. Yeah. But the screen was not broken. No. So, then, so it yeah, was not there, a point of entry. There was no damage to the screen. No. Okay. So well then that takes that away. That's good. Yeah. And that door again because you have to have keys to open it from either direction. These doors are kind of key to the understanding of this whole setup. And also, but sometimes he just left that back door open. 
Yeah. Like, I remember that being a thing that he would just leave his kitchen door open and a lot of people would just walk in. Mm-hmm. So, Which is not uncommon in a small town. No, I mean, like... That, in a small town with, with, you know, pretty low crime rate. In 1975. In 1975, yeah. not now, but in yeah, 1975, I, it was pretty idyllic and... and, and pretty quiet and i i do feel like most people left their doors unlocked as we preface the story with several other murders that yeah as we preface the story (laughs) with the horrific history of the town porter also noted that while he was downstairs fixing that window he heard shuffling of shoes on the concrete floor he called for shakespeare got no response and left the house quickly Uh, porter note noted that he never wore shoes in his home so there was someone else there at the time i mean uh, based on porter's account not only was there somebody other than shake in his house the night before but that they were down there heard another person didn't announce themselves because if he can hear the shoes then I'm sure the shoes wearer heard him clomping down the, <laughs> the stairs. Shoes wearer, yeah. You know, like could I could hear him saying like, "Hey, shake." He could be like, "Hi." Yeah, and, and the, <laughs> the fact that they don't communicate is just—it's one of the, there are very few things that in the initial part of this investigation made me dislike John Shakespeare. Uh, you know, I was kind of on his side a lot of it. Obviously, it got different and weird later on, and the, and part of that's because the town has a lot of theories that are you know not the most savory. But this was the the first time that I was like, "What the? How do you not communicate with this person that is in Who your home on a daily basis?" Yeah, you know, like I realize that you pay him to do these things, but come on, man. oh oh, here's another fact about John Shakespeare that isn't pertinent to the murder at all whatsoever. He <laughs> was apparently like ripped. Like, for a 65-year-old man, he was supposed to be in very good shape. He had a personal gym in his garage Mm -hmm. that was, like, a whole thing that the town knew about and was fascinated by. He was supposedly, like, in extraordinarily good shape. Like, you know how Bowflex used to have commercials where they would just intentionally put middle-aged men on there just to show you, like, look what I can still do, even though I'm past my prime by a standard that (laughs) was never decided upon. (laughs) But like, that's absolutely, that's the John Shakespeare was the Bowflex. He was the uh, Bowflex of Centralia. Yeah. Yeah. He was, um, he was in incredible shape. So to overpower him, must've been more than one person. Must've well, or the very strong person or a trick. And which I will get to later. Yeah. And if he seems, (laughs) if he seems very, Oh, a trick. Oh, um, (laughs) if he, he seems like his pictures don't make him look really strong. No. When you look at the pictures of him with the Bugatti. Yeah. He's he's, five, six. He was five, six. To be in good health during that time. And again, there was no sign of a struggle found Mm -hmm. again, found by the Centralia police who we will soon deteriorate your trust in. Yes. (laughs) So prepare for that as well. I know this whole thing can just be summed up by like the police work was shoddy. There are no sources in this investigation that are very reliable. No, they all change. (laughs) It's kind of a nightmare. Another thing that was interesting that we found while researching is that the newspaper stories changed. They start omitting information that they used in the beginning. And, okay, so journalism note, all building stories change. That is just the the mechanism of learning new information. Mm -hmm. But what doesn't often happen is that information that is clearly pertinent and relevant and unquestionably part of the investigation 
starts to stop existing, yeah. which is what this seems to be. Mm-hmm. The information just disappears. Well, I remember the first like couple news articles I read, the police had found physical evidence of another person. They didn't yeah. really say what, but they said there's a ton of physical evidence. And then, you know, months later, there's a newspaper article that says there were there was no physical evidence. Yeah, found. no, no identifying evidence about anybody other than John Shakespeare. Yeah. And it was like, well, what happened when you initially reported that we have a ton of physical evidence? And even at one point, I believe they specifically said fingerprints that did not match yes. John Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Or I'm assuming. Ralph and then Porter. those went away. Yeah, just they, gone. They were just gone. They didn't have them anymore. And another name you need to remember that we'll get to. Um, Shakespeare was last seen being dropped off by William Wom and a quote unquote mysterious hitchhiker at 10 p.m. on May 7th after a dinner that the three of them shared at a restaurant called Pinky's, which then turned into Maryland's. Yes. And what's interesting is like that was stated and then that story changed too. And oh, then yeah. William Wom's name started disappearing from the notes like from the police reports William Wom's name and they never accounted for how the they go to Pinky's they're absolutely seen he gets dropped off at 10 no initial body temperature is taken so we have zero evidence as to whether he died that night at sometime after 10 p.m. or if he died the next day closer to when he was found there's a 24-hour gap basically so Evidence in the investigation that was supposedly collected include a cloth tied in a knot identified as removed from the victim's neck, which I believe later they said they thought was a gag that had just like drifted down. Yeah. No, they that thought it was sense. some sort of like cover for the mouth and then it fall, fallen down to his neck because it didn't seem to be doing anything on his in his neck area. And there was a whole like sadomasochism reading of this, yeah. wasn't there? I think that was just sensationalism sensationalism who which we'll doesn't get want, to. like when you just like you you find a martyr and you're like i wonder if i can make this about bds yeah i wonder if i can make this about some weird sexual thing <laughs> a sealed paper bag identified as containing a cloth that was tied around the victim's legs two sealed paper bags identified as containing towels that were tied around the victim's head a blue bandana type handkerchief uh, identified as from the floor outside of the room uh, a head hair standard identified as from the victim. So like a, a sample of hair from the victim so that they could, if they find hair anywhere else, they can, you know, rule out that it was um, not Shakespeare's. A liquid blood standard identified group O. I said that like it was dramatic as if we have any other blood evidence, but we don't. He yeah. was a typo. Just in case you were wondering. Universal John donor. Shakespeare, typo, universal donor. A sealed plastic box identified as containing a spent slug removed from the victim's body. Again, he was shot once. A one paperback book, one Marvel comic book, one piece of blue paper, one twenty-two magnum caliber high standard revolver, which goes missing a couple times. Yeah. I don't know if they actually found a gun there. So, yeah, it's listed as a piece of evidence. So this might not be uh, evidence... that they found at the scene of the crime because there was also several guns claimed to be found none of which the centralia police department still has access to or will even acknowledge that they ever existed in some cases one thing that i have a question about 
one Marvel comic book. So, okay, I'm interested in that for two reasons. The first of which being that when we looked into some of the local Centralians account, they never mentioned the comic book, but they did mention that like Odyssey Club. The sexual magazine, which we'll get to. And then the other option being, okay, so we do have to get into the fact that John Shakespeare is rumored to be a homosexual. Yes. And so one of the things that I think makes this listed as evidence mm-hmm. is that it might seem like something used to entice a young boy into his house, which he also didn't necessarily have any okay. like lack of means to do being both in charge of the explorer scouts and all that like uh, obviously two young boys went to go see him and found that he was murdered you know like they didn't find him but they saw the police there so interesting i was wondering about that piece of evidence and why that was pertinent why that was even collected i just i think it's strange that they listed it it's very strange that they listed it and there's absolutely no evidence that they found it near his body right so it seems like it was one of those they did a sweep of the house and they're like well it's weird that he's got a comic book it's like, well, I guess in 1975, yeah, I that mean, would be listed as evidence now. He was, yeah, he was like... Because <laughs> it wasn't a collection of comic books. It was yeah. one comic book. Interesting. Okay. According to Shakespeare's handyman, who we've mentioned several times, Ralph Porter, the only items found missing from Shakespeare's home were a can of mace and a radio. However, when Shakespeare's wallet was recovered, it contained no money, only his credit cards. Okay. But again, like I said, there was a ton of shit in that place that someone could have stolen. And if it if, if it was robbery, I honestly, I think we can rule out robbery. Yeah. Because the, even Robert, if they took would a Robert, one certain thing, like why would a robber go in to take one certain one thing? And why would a robber go to the trouble of possibly tying you up in two different ways? Yeah. And then I don't like the covering of the head thing, too, also feels like one of those... I don't want to uh, look at you while I shoot you. Yeah, in the this face. doesn't necessarily. This either feels like a reluctant murderer or somebody who just doesn't do it very often mm-hmm. because they clearly couldn't process that portion of it, which I totally get. Like, I don't think I like if I, I if it came to murder, either. I don't think I'd want to look at them. Yeah. So I get that, but it's a weird it's a weird scenario. It is a weird scenario, and and like I was saying earlier, he wasn't beaten. Because at first I was like, well, what if this was sort of a um, a situation where it was robbery, but they were there to get a specific thing? Yeah. Like maybe a piece of evidence against someone. And he had so many rare things. He had done such travels mm-hmm. that, I mean, like this could have been a flaunted something to the wrong person. Also, I remember it being noted that there are conflicting reports as to whether or not he walked around with no cash on him at all times and only paid with things with credit cards mm-hmm. and checks, which is one account. And then the other being that he pretty much didn't leave the house without having at least $100 in his wallet at all times, which in 1975 would have been you know, more significant than today. But both accounts of his life in terms of how much money he walks around with do exist. Yeah. Great. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe there was money taken out of his wallet and maybe there was never money in his wallet to be found. Yeah, but still, I just don't think that they would go through all that trouble to steal $100 out of a wallet when there was like actual items worth thousands of dollars. 
I also don't know how, like, this seems planned. This seems like yeah. you tie, but it does also seem like they tied him up with stuff that he owned. Like, none of the stuff it found on him. It doesn't seem like they, they didn't bring rope. They didn't come prepared. They didn't come prepared. But they definitely were able to do all of these things without otherwise harming him until murdering him, it seems. Yeah. Which, Which makes you question whether murder was on the table. Or whether it happened in the heat of the moment. Which is another reason why maybe they went to the sadomasochism aspect. Because maybe they're in, uh, maybe they're insinuating that because there weren't signs of a struggle. That at least some level of this Shakespeare might have gotten into willingly. Mm-hmm. And then things took a turn. Yeah. In a very like a American for... horror story yeah. situation. <laughs> things took a turn for the worse. But, you know, for anyone who understands like sort of a BDSM relationship, that's not something that happens. Yeah. That's not something that's like... These I, are like... I, that, you would not <laughs> let somebody do that to you who you would not trust with your life in the first place. Yeah. who would, Yeah. And I like... It just seems unlikely. Yeah. That that whole scenario... that The robbery for me is a no. And the like sadomasochism, like BDSM relationship is also, for me, doesn't make sense. There's I, a lot of sexualization of this crime that yes. happens throughout and you'll see I I mean the most puritanical of towns will have a whole undercurrent of sexual conversation because it's the repression like it comes right. out in their suspicions because obviously people are doing things that they don't talk about so mm-hmm. they're all aware of this fact. It's like the crucible. <laughs> it's like the crucible. <laughs> <laughs> That was one thing we kind of touched on how the the newspaper stories changed from we have evidence to there was no evidence found or William Wom had dinner with him to no mention of what happened the night before, like at all. Yeah. Or it just says like he was found ha- or he was seen having dinner with this mysterious, you know, quote unquote, mysterious hitchhiker. Which no I think they even stopped William calling Wong. him a hitchhiker at some point. Did they? What were they calling him? Quinn I- Devin? No, well, yeah, I think they did use that name. They definitely used a name that, like, everyone realized was a fake name and that totally dried up. But they also just referred to him as, like, a mysterious man that people didn't recognize not from town. So, man. Traveler, yeah. (laughs) Traveler. So, not only that happened, but the question then became for us... Did the Centralia Police Department cover up the crime or did they botch the investigation? Because one way or another, this was not properly investigated. This was not properly investigated by any means, just because of like the lack of evidence, but also because of there was a lot of like follow ups that like didn't happen. When they even tried to investigate the mysterious hitchhiker, right? Uh They didn't go to where he was picked up. Right. They didn't it seems talk to the person that allegedly was with William Wom when he picked him up. Right. I mean, there are people who had key information that we have no information about. Yeah. And then the evidence, like the evidence going missing. And by missing, I mean, we're asked about it later after it being publicly released what they found and the police saying, what evidence? Yeah. That was basically their response was... Yeah, what? We don't have that. What are you talking about? Who told you we had that? Like, like that's... you did! <laughs> like, you released <laughs> this information to the same newspaper that's now, and weirdly, connected with the WOMs. 
Like that's that's the other weird thing is that they're absolutely connections between the people who run the newspaper and the Wom family uh-huh. whose name gets entirely erased from this story. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine why, you know, they were prominent lawyers in the area. Yes. You wouldn't want your name mixed up in a murder whether or not you were involved at all whatsoever. So it does seem kind of reasonable why they got their name out, but it also seems super fishy. <laughs> Also, the fact that the Centralia Police Department were investigated the following year due to claims of fraud and abuse. And this That's a big This investigation was part of that internal review too. Really? So they they had looked into m- evidence that had gone missing and at one point there was a claim that some of the ev- evidence had been sold and that got looked into during the time that that they were basically just like in the basement where all the evidence is kept and just saying like hey you want this gun hey you want this handkerchief that may or may not have some blood on it don't worry about it bleach exists and (laughs) you know like i just don't under like i know that police auction off stuff from time to time but generally it's like they're old cars that didn't have that mirror still that makes me paranoid when i'm driving but really it's just somebody who got a car on the cheap yeah Or, you know, I understand that there are, like, situations where police departments will, you know, sell drugs that they confiscate and, like, to take the money for themselves. But in this case, like, as far as I know, no drugs were found. Yeah, no, there was no mention of any illicit substances. Uh, That can of mace, I I, like, I keep coming back to it, not because I think it's important, but I want to know, do they mean, like, the mace that you can get in a seasoning can? Or do they mean, like, the spray stuff that you can make people's eyes hurt you know like what kind of mace what kind of mace and why is it relevant or a battle mace that was just kept in a can (laughs) it was kept in a can a giant can because to swing around this 65 year old maybe homosexual man was absolutely also a viking yes an unsolved mystery style show tried to run a story on the shakespeare murder only to be asked to leave by the centralia police in the late 70s early 80s and i we couldn't find the name of the show but it was it was not unsolved mysteries it was not unsolved mysteries like unsolved mysteries and it was definitely when like stations were kind of trying to reinvent new show types so i think it was a very investigative journalism kind of show Mm -hmm. but there are multiple accounts like people definitely remember this show trying to come in campaigning to be here and then it just died and it was later revealed that the police basically told them they weren't going to let them look at their stuff like this isn't going to be a fruitful investigation for you because you will not get access that you want that's interesting i mean it's it it is interesting, and it's not, because if the police did, if, the, if they didn't try to actively cover this up and they really honestly botched it, like they lost evidence or they, they didn't, you know, they didn't follow up with the right people or whatever the situation is, they yeah. botched it, I could understand not wanting their name drug through the mud in this situation because they, they totally fucked up on this investigation. But some of the botches just seem so brazen. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we sold that. That was that was that was like a direct quote. An that actual they sold. police officer yeah. said that about the evidence, and I don't I don't think they were a high up. Like I don't think right. that they were sanctioned to give this statement. <laughs> but that was absolutely a statement from inside the Centralia Police Department was that they had sold this evidence. That's the wildest thing to me that so- anybody would admit to it. But also that there's got to be a paper trail on that. We couldn't find it because this man has one of the most impressive names of any murder suspect. That gets looked into and isn't his name that's the important aspect. You know, like his name being 
John William Shakespeare is very problematic. Yes. And we yes. should just state it again. Yeah, we should just like continue to remind you guys how hard it was to look into this person. <laughs> His name was John William Shakespeare. Okay, you know what? I want to move on, actually, because we've talked a lot about a man named William Wom. Mm-hmm. And uh, we should probably talk about him a little bit. Why don't you take this one, William okay. Wom? So William Wom was a lawyer. And one of the interesting things about our town and this area in general is that that last name. So for people listening from this area, they're going to recognize that last name. Yeah. They might not recognize the first name, but absolutely. Because Wom and Wom is a law firm yeah. in this area. And that's their family. So he did not actually work for... The Wama Mom firm. He didn't. Uh, I don't believe so. So I did not find evidence of him actually being a lawyer there. His brother Jim absolutely was. He was a trial lawyer there for his entire career. But I don't see William Wom on there. William, mm-hmm. I found record of him being on the Centralia School Board. This is William. Okay. Um, I found and around the time of the murders as well. And I saw his name in some like high society announcements. So like yes. every once in a while, there were other things going on at Pinkies that were important, <laughs> and the Wom's name would show up every once in a while. But he definitely didn't seem to have a direct connection, other than being you know directly related to the Wom and Wom firm. Okay, so let let's go through the timeline first, and then we can yeah. go into the theories. So the timeline is that on noon of that Wednesday, he and a another person who worked at his firm, which is a different office, to my understanding, this went, is Jim or William. This is William. William. William, William drove to Mount Vernon mm-hmm. to the Dutch Pantry, I believe, was what this like restaurant was called. Okay. Had lunch and there. Mount Vernon is like a town over from Centralia. About yeah, like a fifteen minute drive, maybe. Yeah. And they meet this drifter, hitchhiker is how they keep talking about him in the newspaper Mm -hmm. uh, cuttings, but he went by Quinn Devon and he claimed by people who talked to him to be a journalism professor slash hitchhiker in america just trying to like get around and irish from ireland from ireland supposedly spoke with an irish dialect and there was one account that just said like maybe british accent and so now the most centralia thing i've ever heard because i can't tell whether this person just doesn't know the difference which is like (laughs) okay fine i get it like i I grew up here i know what you mean (laughs) i know but or if they're saying that this like accent just changed Changed and was funny you know yeah We'll come back to Quinn Devon. So he's important, but this is William Wom's time. Mysterious hitchhiker, William Wom, picked up this man, this mystery man. William Wom picks him up, takes him back to his office, and works for the rest of the day. Uh, But before going back to work, gives Quinn Devon a change of clothes. And then Quinn Devon like walks around town and does a couple of things, but then comes back at the end of the workday. And that's when they go, I believe this is like 6 PM. Mm-hmm. They go uh, pick up John Shakespeare because they all ride together and they go to Pinkies, which again is at the other, uh, other end of town. I believe this is all happening in downtown Centralia up to this point, which is uh, like hard to describe, but it's just like, it's the main business center yeah, of town of Centralia. and has been for over a century. Mm-hmm. So they go to dinner and they are seen by multiple people, like very uh, several people remember seeing them at this dinner. And then at 10 p.m., they're seen dropping John Shakespeare back off at his house. And that's the last time John was seen. William Mom goes back home, brings this hitchhiker with him, introduces the hitchhiker to his daughter at his home. 
Do you know how old his daughter was at the time? I uh, she was old enough to be able to give it an account of what happened. Yeah, she was. Be an alibi. She was an adult, I think. But I think she was in her well. Okay, so these all of these key players really are in their sixties at yes, the time. At the time, so that's also interesting that none of them are in necessarily the prime of their lives. They're they're you know subtly in uh, getting ready for retirement, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. William Wom is also married at this point. Yes, and his wife isn't mentioned at all whatsoever. Ever. It's just him bringing home this hitchhiker. Introducing him to male hitchhiker. Yeah, introducing introducing him to his his daughter, adult daughter, and then they all go to bed that night. The hitchhiker stays over, you know, like you do. Yeah, like you do with the hitchhiker. And then the next morning, that you drive to the next town and pick up. Yeah, and then the next morning at seven a.m. they wake up and he drives him. He drives the hitchhiker to Sandoval, which is another nearby town, and that is the last account of this man. In America. Yeah, apparently. He, uh, there are a couple, like, the police follow a couple leads later when they're searching for him. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, oh, he was reported as being in Missouri. Yeah, on I think they this got to day. O'Fallon and yeah. St. Louis. And that was the end of them having any trail for this man. For this mystery hitchhiker. Just stops existing. Yeah. So the main storyline that a lot of people firmly believe, both about John Shakespeare and William Wom, is that they were in a romantic relationship with one another. Yes. Um, a, a, a secret one, mm-hmm. but obviously not as secret as Centralia would seem to think because they're all talking about it. Yeah. Um, and the fact that this would be a rumor in the ni- in 1975 still would have been quite strange. So this yeah. wasn't a time when like homosexuality was never spoken of, but this was definitely a time when people had very low opinion of the concept in general. Yeah. As the story goes, either John Shakespeare was just not being as discreet as William Wom and his family would like, right. which seems absolutely possible. By most accounts, John Shakespeare was pretty eccentric, like out there in his garage working on his Bowflex with the garage door open, just right. showing off those sweet 65-year-old guns. <laughs> but he was definitely known for being odd. Right. And so whether odd just translates to gay and that's their way of saying, you know, like shake your hand and say funny, like that kind of whole concept of describing right. a Someone who's homosexual not in general. Straight and white. Yeah. But <laughs> so there's boring. A, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I just want to fall asleep. Uh, but no, John and William Wom were rumored to be in a relationship that wasn't necessarily on the up and up any longer. They were rumored to be on the down low and John Shakespeare, as we mentioned before, was planning a trip to Switzerland during this time. And within the next couple of weeks, he was planning on being gone for 18 months. And in your mid sixties, an 18 month trip is like, that's like making a party invitation. And you say it goes from seven to question mark. Like maybe it's 18 months, but maybe it's the rest of your life, which might be the the same thing, which might be the same thing or less, (laughs) you know, like I, I, we don't know if John was planning on coming back. And so it's, it's also interesting because as Ashley mentioned, when we were first talking about this, it's where the Catholic church sends most of their child molesting priests. when They're trying to cover them up. Yeah, exactly. They can't be punished for American crimes. So it's, it's, it's very interesting that he was, planning on traveling to a country with like very strong anti-extradition laws yeah that's 
kind of the narrative for William Wom specifically. His name in the first year of the investigation is directly stated. He yes. was at dinner with the hitchhiker and John Shakespeare that is in every account and is regularly listed as the last person to see John Shakespeare alive. It's noted in multiple accounts, not in the newspaper, that he was not very cooperative. Yeah, he would not speak to uh, authorities. He would not speak to, he definitely wouldn't speak to reporters, Mm -hmm. but like by law, you don't have to speak to reporters. So it could have just been like, hey, this is a private matter. Leave me the fuck alone. But apparently, yeah, it was stated that he was not as supportive of with the authorities as well. So I remember there being one thing about hair. And that's why they collected that piece of hair evidence from John Shakespeare is because there must have been some other hair that was found mm-hmm. because they they collected hair from William Wom as yes. well. And, and they the searched dis- his house. Yeah. And so they looked through all the places where that Quinn Devon character uh, had been. Yes. Quote, uh, allegedly. And they found some hairs. From what we could tell, both uh, both John Shakespeare, who had white hair, like entirely white hair, mm-hmm. and William Wom, whose hair was either salt and pepper or black, depending on the account of this time. And this hair was neither of those colors. This hair was like strawberry blonde, I believe, was the... Well, uh, Quinn Devon was described as being a redhead. Yeah. So. so there was definitely some sort of connection, definitely some physical evidence that was absolutely talked that about. That was there and then not. And yeah, yeah, just just gone. So but the again. thing is, is that you can say like we had the physical evidence; it didn't pan out. We, you know, we were able to rule it out yeah, as evidence, a, or like say it's inconclusive. You know, say say it didn't rule anything out, mm-hmm. but, but it don't just say didn't you help. didn't have it. Like that's so it's weird Ugh. to say like no, that's not a thing. It's like yes, it was. You said. It feels like every time that the Centralia police were investigated about or were questioned about this murder after 1975, their response was just like a shrugging emoji. Yeah, it was like, I don't know. Yeah, could not tell you. Who cares? One thing that I do find interesting, though, the whole like, who cares? Shouldn't this murder be investigated more thoroughly? Shouldn't, wouldn't people urge this murder to be solved? I mean, maybe not. He had one brother who mm-hmm. lived in uh, Tampa. Yeah, he was definitely in Florida. He was in Florida and really didn't, it didn't seem like they had any sort of relationship. He never came out and said, you know, solve my brother's murder. You know what I mean? And like, the it funeral didn't, seem... didn't take place in Centralia. I think the, fl- the funeral was in Kalamazoo. Yeah, he was ba- he's buried in Kalamazoo with his mother and father and, and now brother. Which all of their, you know, uh, tombstones have the word Shakespeare on them. Mm-hmm. And like, that's. Just straight. I'm just going to point that out again. That's I'm really weird. I'm just going to point that out. It's weird. Also, his brother didn't seem very involved in the investigation, in anything. When they talk about his brother, it seems like I don't even necessarily have evidence that his brother attended the funeral. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and we have a list of people that the Centralia Sentinel found notable who attended the funeral. And I know they mention some close relations but i don't remember seeing his brother's name on that list of people who attended interesting yeah because i'm sure that one of the avenues that they visited would would be to question or investigate the 
brother, especially if they thought maybe that this had to do with money in some way. And, okay, so money, William Womigan, became the arbitrator of John Shakespeare's will. And so from the moment that John Shakespeare died, his entire estate was under the control of William Wom, who then spent the next 10 years charging the account while he slowly doled out this man's inheritance to his family, uh, which was mostly nieces and nephews, um, but also his brother got something uh, as well. So the money that got doled out absolutely went to John Shakespeare's family, not to some of the organizations that he wanted to fund. And we have like letters that he wrote talking about how he needed to get a will and he had some places that he wanted that money to go to. William Mom did not do anything toward putting money to those foundations and also got a yearly paycheck from this one estate that seemed substantial. It was yeah. it was probably close to my modern salary. I wonder if and none of his family got a, a particularly large sum of no. money. Okay. So we can rule out family, I would say. Yeah. All right. Okay, so well then let's let's kind of there there was one other note here on the police um, investigation issues. And uh, one of the routes that they took, one of the things that they investigated, one of, you know, the ideas that they had was that there was a local theory that Shakespeare was killed by the parent of a molested child and it was considered a justified killing. Uh, No evidence that this actually took place, but it was one of the main rumors after the crime went unsolved. So I want to talk about that a little bit because I had stumbled upon that rumor when I was doing my initial investigation. And I found one news article, a news clipping that really... So first of all, this is one of the craziest routes we're going to go today. This is pretty bananas, so bear with me. It all, though, has connections that are proven connections. But, you know, like I said, this is all speculative. We are not saying any of this actually happened. And it's like it's very contextual in the time. So a lot of yes. things are going around, going on during this time period mm-hmm. that I think led people to this conclusion, yeah. whether or not it was actually relevant whether or not in this it was case. relevant. Um, relevant, not relevant. <laughs> Hi, weirdos! Just butting in to take a moment to let you know that if you visit www.keepitweirdpodcast.com, you can view a handful of photographs and newspaper clippings from today's special edition, True Crime Investigation. You'll be able to put faces to the names, view maps and photos to help you navigate the locations, and read newspaper articles to see how we were led down the many, many dusty, strange roads we wandered down. Just head over to www.keepitweirdpodcast.com and click on the Shake It Up tab. All right, back to the show. So I found this news clipping, right? And I honestly, I don't even know what publication this clipping is from, but I was was pretty sure it was from Mount Vernon, Illinois. And the headline is, Man's Killing Still Baffles Centralia Police. There's no date on the clipping, but it does say that it years have transpired since the murder and that the police are admitting they are still baffled and can't establish a motive. So this is like three, four years later. Then towards the end of the article, it says, quote, last September, Centralia police and a state agent went to Chicago to investigate a suspect held for questioning in the slaying of some 30 persons. 
the victims were killed in a way that recalled Shakespeare's murder. Now, I know my serial killers. Yeah, you do. And I know that at that time, John Wayne Gacy was arrested. And I was like, no fucking way. There's so many. Like, living in Illinois, there are so many weird connections that most Illinoisans have with John Wayne Gacy outside of the fact that he Mm -hmm. was in prison and then executed here. Yeah. Executed? Yeah, he was executed, wasn't he? Yeah, Yeah. lethal injection. Yeah. But that lead was never mentioned. The same article says that the lead looked really promising. Now we've just about ruled them out, though. So, and then, it, but he was never mentioned again. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if they officially ruled out John Wayne Gacy. If like, no idea. It was never mentioned again. Yeah. So I decided to look into it, and uh, first I started looking at Gacy's mo when it comes to murder. And for anyone who doesn't know Gacy, Gacy was one of the most sadistic serial killers in history. And at the time of his arrest, they found 26 bodies buried in the crawl space underneath his home. Seven or more bodies had been found and proven to been his proven to be his victims. Three on other parts of his property and four discarded in the Des Plaines River. Those are just the victims whose bodies have been found and connected to Gacy. And Gacy actually went to death row without falling cut. Fully confessing to his crimes. So experts theorize his kill count could be in the hundreds. Yeah, because I mean, his neighbors recounted seeing him just digging holes in his yard at strange times. Uh And they were like, well, that was funny. You know, but what a weird eccentric guy. Yeah, exactly. So John Shakespeare. And it smells. So (laughs) he's killed a lot of dudes. And Gacy actually, he derived sexual pleasure from the killings. Occasionally, he killed and orgasmed without physically even raping his victims. So not all of his victims were raped. Great. Gacy had one thing that he liked to do was handcuff his victims. He mm. had police grade handcuffs, just like the ones found on Shakespeare. Because they were police handcuffs. They were police they, they handcuffs. They had a serial number on them. They had a serial number. They said they were investigating the serial number to see where they could have come from. Again, never mentioned again. Yep. Just never just mentioned. Into the just ether. Just dropped. He had police grade handcuffs. And this is interesting. What he would do is he would trick the boys into putting them on. He'd stage it as some sort of magic act or something. He, he was a party clown. Yeah. He was a known party clown. Guys, this is so many of my triggers, too. This yeah. is like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. I mean, I just can't imagine a situation where a clown asks me to do anything and I comply. And so I was like, sure. Every time yeah. I read about somebody who was a Gacy victim, I'm just like, this is unrelatable. Absolutely not. No. Like, so he'd stage it as some sort of trick and the boys would allow themselves to be handcuffed. And of course, it wasn't a trick and they would be raped and killed, mm-hmm. which I found interesting. It stood out to me because of the handcuffs, number one, but also because of in a news article in the Centralia Sentinel right after the murder, um, lead investigator Officer Franklin said that, quote, relatives said Shakespeare was not the kind of man to give up without a struggle, but apparently he did. So it definitely seems like he was put in handcuffs willingly. And wasn't there a knot? There was. That was another thing I researched. Gacy had a specific knot that he tied all of his victims up with. And it was, um, I believe it was a, um, I can't remember now because I didn't put that in my notes. I want to call it a box knot or something. Box knot. I think that's right. No, I think that's actually right. I think it was a box knot. John Shakespeare was tied up with a tourniquet knot. Which are the same thing. Which are the same thing. Yeah, no, we looked into it. And Which that, were, we looked the same. into it. So it was the same knot that they that Gacy would use that 
tied up John Shakespeare. Okay, so that was interesting. Yeah, let me preface. I don't know if a box knot and a tourniquet knot are the same thing, but the knot that we looked into yes. that Gacy loved and a tourniquet knot were mm-hmm. the same thing. We don't know if it's a box knot. This was a long time ago. So um, yeah, I, I because they found that was the knot that was used to tie around John Shakespeare's the the towels, wasn't it? The that was what they noted towels and whatever it was tied around his neck that they mm. think was a gag yeah. which several other articles describe a bloody rag that police said apparently was used as a gag that hung around his chin and neck area now gacy was known to gag his victims before he killed them because mouths and noses would leak quote liquid after the body was no longer alive and he found this out on his second murder after he put the deceased kid in the, his closet and he leaked and stained his closet like his carpet Man. So that became his MO of gagging a victim and like plugging up all of its, uh, their orifices because they would leak. That's like a reverse Dexter though. Like if you're worried about mess, then why are you, why are you only concerned about it on the back end of this <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> process? Yeah, like, just like lay down some saran wrap. Get the get plastic everywhere. Like we know how this works. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so Gacy. at this point, I'm searching far and wide for a connection between Gacy and Shakespeare and I'm Still pretty wary of Gacy, obviously, because he preferred young men. Mm-hmm. He didn't go for and and Shakespeare certainly not was, a Bowflex body. Certainly not, yeah, certainly not a sixty-five-year-old Bowflex champion like Shakespeare. Um, so I definitely didn't buy that he could have murdered Shakespeare for sexual pleasures. But it's also hard for me to believe that Gacy wouldn't kill to protect himself for or for revenge or whatever. Mm-hmm. If he could so easily kill, you know, potentially a hundred men, I I don't think that they all would have been like for sexual purposes. Yeah, like it, why rest on ceremony? At some yeah. point, he might have just had an actual reason to kill somebody yeah. as opposed to whatever. As opposed like, to just like I want to. Yeah, I know that several people, including criminal defense attorneys and investigators researching the Gacy case, say that there's overwhelming evidence that he worked with an accomplice Mm -hmm. or several accomplices, Gacy. One of the victims who had escaped said at one point he woke up and there was another man there. Um, How some of the victims, some of the victims went missing and ended up underneath Gacy's house had gone missing when Gacy wasn't even in town. So it definitely seems like Gacy did not work alone. So I decided to go that avenue. This is also Um, how you hooked me. Yes. Just FYI. Like within 20 minutes of telling me about this murder, we were talking about John Wayne Gacy, and I was like, "Well, well that's I, this the is thing, my life is like, now." When I read the article that was like they they actually questioned John Wayne Gacy in this murder, I was like, "Excuse me, <laughs> I'm in." What? Sign me up. So, anyways, I decided to go that avenue. Like, what if it, it wasn't a Gacy victim? Because technically, Gacy, I don't believe he was murdering at the time. But he didn't get arrested until this seventy-eight, uh, seventy-seven. No, yeah, it, it, it was a couple arrested. of years after yeah, this. Yeah, after murder. this, that he got arrested. I didn't necessarily think like John Wayne Shakespeare was a serial killer, but I wanted to look into, do they have any connections? Could they have worked together in some fashion? So what do they have in common? And the first thing I searched was Gacy Connections in Centralia, Illinois, which we got right away. Nobody. Sue Terry. Sue Terry. A woman named Sue Terry. Uh, what an adventure that was. So Sue Terry was an, uh, was actually a woman who started a romantic relationship with John Wayne Gacy while he was in prison. So this was after he was convicted of all the murders. Mm-hmm. But, you know, once I found that, I was like, okay, did they know each other before he was imprisoned it does not look like they knew each other before 
But um, they wrote each other for over a year. So I thought maybe he mentioned Centralia in one of the letters. So Mm -hmm. Stephen attempted to file a Freedom of Information Act to get copies of the letters to see if he ever mentioned Shakespeare or Centralia or even Southern Illinois because he was up in Cook County. Yeah, but I didn't manage to get that. But I did manage to find the the published letters. So I couldn't find anything that wasn't published. Was it the Chicago Sun-Times? Yeah, it was the Chicago Sun-Times. And they published like 13 or 14 of the letters. It was a decent number. And they also mm-hmm. paired them with like, they had psychologists. Notes. Like, yeah, n- annotate basically the letters. Basically, he never mentioned Centralia. He was just really mean to her. Yeah, and he would like, <laughs> like he would dog her friends too because, I and I mean, I don't know. If I were John Wayne Gacy, I don't think that Sue Terry would be my like favorite person either. But I also think that like John Wayne Gacy wasn't necessarily the most rational thinker. But he would just tell her how much he hated her friends. He would reference people who were currently like during that time living in Centralia Mm -hmm. because he would be talking about her life and telling her, for instance, how to discipline her children, which you definitely want from the murderer of young boys. I know (laughs) that. If you ever like can find get access to these letters, they are a fascinating read. So weird. Into the mind of John Wayne Gacy. And However, Sue Terry. And Sue Terry, my God. And she eventually was like, No, she thought he didn't do it. And the, he was like being framed in the newspapers were liars. But eventually after like, this year or two of their relationship, she was like, No, he's evil and he should die. Oh yeah, no, because she published. She she gave the letters. And that's when they turned. Oh, really? I, I believe that's when the. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. I'll take that back. Uh, it wasn't the publishing of the letter. She started doing talk shows. Like, yeah, she was on she national was, talk shows. Yeah. She was on. Uh, what was what Was it Maury? I no. want to say Phil Donahue. Maybe I feel Phil like Donahue. I'm making things up. <laughs> I know. I like it. Yeah. But she did go on talk shows yeah. because the article that I initially found about Sue Terry, this was after she was like, mm. I have nothing to do with him. He's evil. And I, I honestly, I don't want to fucking talk about it anymore. And he would send letters like afterwards. I remember he was sending threatening letters to her daughter daughter yeah like after she cut off contact he was sending threatening letters to her daughter and weird stuff was happening remember her like trailer caught on fire and uh, it was they thought it was arson and one of their cars got destroyed or something like Mm -hmm. someone like destroyed one of their cars so it was like okay did gacy send someone to do this shit or is it like just bad timing i know you know like this shit happened and it was a horrible (sighs) timing because it was right when she broke up broke it off with gacy and I don't want to, like, I, I hate to victim blame because I, we know why some women reach out to men on death row. Like, we know that, and we also know that Suteri was abused in a previous relationship. Yeah. So she fits the exact profile of a woman who would happily seek a romantic connection to somebody who is kept completely safe from them. Yes. So it, it, it makes sense why she was having that interaction. But also, like, you were first introduced to this person. As the murderer of at least 30 young boys. Yeah. And that was the beginning of your relationship. Whether or not you want to acknowledge the validity of that. That was the beginning. So when stuff starts getting weird. Guess what? Stuff's already fucking weird. Yeah. Like it's. it's, (laughs) This is. This is a whole thing that I think you knew what you were getting into. At least to an extent. So she was fascinating. But also a dead end. Didn't Mm. lead us anywhere. So what other connections did they have? They were both businessmen. I found a couple articles stating that John Shakespeare at one point worked in building construction, but I literally couldn't find anything detailing that in case he was a building contractor in Illinois. So maybe. And then I found what led me into a nightmare descent of madness. Oh, man. Which is 
initially Boy Scouts and yeah. Explorer Scouts. Do yourself a favor and never Google Boy Scouts of America sex abuse cases because it is awful. Especially in awful. the 70s. You will throw up. Yeah, it's it's seriously, it's just as nefarious as the Catholic Church in terms of like molestation cases and cover-ups. And I have some examples here. And I know it was the Explorer Scouts, but they were essentially the same. Yeah, they ran in tandem in most cases. Yeah. For example, Brad Stowell confessed to molesting over 30 boys between 1989 until his arrest in 1997. Authorities working at the camp were warned numerous times during his employment. He even admitted to the police at one point he molested a six-year-old in which Boy Scout officials were also aware of. Or Richard Turley a Boy Scouts volunteer in California who was convicted of kidnapping and sexually assaulting a Canadian Boy Scout. He got no jail time. He spent 18 months in a mental institution. And after he was released 18 months later, he went right back to work at this Boy Scout camp Yep. immediately. In 1979, he assaulted three of those scouts at the camp. And upon learning this, the Boy Scouts of America simply told him to return to Canada. They did not warn the Scouts of Canada of his return or his previous crimes. And then in 1996, he went on to assault four boys in British Columbia and was sentenced to seven years in prison because Canada actually takes crimes against children seriously. Yeah, and did not have a huge vacuum of laws in the 70s that seemed to protect molesters and yeah. child rapists more than anything. They, Yeah, and we'll get into that. It's kind of awful. Ugh. But... You get where I'm going with that. There were nearly 2,000 reported cases of abuse within Boy Scouts of America prior to 1994. And that's the reported cases. If anyone knows anything about rape or molestation or sexual assault, you know that the percentage of the cases that are reported multiplied by 10 under 10% of actual cases assaults are reported. Mm -hmm. So if there were 2,000 reports, those are 2,000 that were told to someone. Which means, you know, there's probably about 10,000 cases of abuse within that time. And this actually could explain a lot about Gacy's behavior because this happens to priests all the time. This is why there's an endless cycle of sexual abuse in in the Catholic Church because these priests are altar boys. Mm -hmm. They get sexually abused at a certain age. It stunts their sexual growth. Then they become priests. They go to seminary school Mm -hmm. or whatever. They become priests and they start doing it to the same fucking age kids well, because they're they their sexual yeah. gratification it's like the michael jackson kind of mentality ended, like not, yeah. not to necessarily like alleged but you get you get what i mean yeah but the whole and it's that celibacy thing it's this whole idea the that you adults. can just tell people to turn that off and so what do they do they find a loophole and that loophole is mm-hmm. a terrible terrible act yeah and I also think that that's why, like, you don't see the same story about a lot of nuns because I feel like nuns just are cool with each other instead. You know, like, I feel <laughs> yeah. like they found a different loophole. Yeah, they found a different loophole and it's called being like, a lesbian. I, I am not trying to call all nuns in, in the world lesbians. I'm just saying, like, I think that they, if, if that were the case, I would prefer it to yeah. the male version. Of right. What's going well, there's on. also the difference, like, chemically between a man and his sexual sexuality and a Mm. woman in hers women i could go the rest of my life and not have sex i Uh, don't care cool you know what i mean yeah like 
who gives a shit? I don't care. I don't have to touch myself. I don't have to touch <laughs> anyone else. I don't have to touch women. I don't have to touch men. I could just have cats and live in a cabin in the woods. Man. But men can't do that. Yeah, that doesn't feel like that. No, that doesn't the... sound like a great rest of my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's not a great way to live the rest of my life, but I'm saying like, I don't yeah, yeah, need you could. it. Yeah. yeah. You just wean it's yourself not off. A, it's not a desire that like I have. And even when you look at like women that sexually abuse children and men that sexually abuse children, with women, it's it's never like a sexual thing. Mm-hmm. It's always an emotional thing. It's always a, I got attention from this young person. Yeah. And it's an emotional desire that's fulfilled. Yeah. As opposed to sometimes with with men, occasionally, yeah. Especially if it's like a teacher with this high school student. It's yeah, that but attention even then, thing. More, more often than not, it tends to be about power dynamics, right? Power like, dynamics or you know, sexual like the gender or actual of sexual the victim hardly even comes into account sometimes. Because that's oh, not necessarily the yeah. most relevant fact. It's just about the power dynamic. Especially with the uh, pedophilia. Yeah, absolutely. In particular. It has nothing to do with, oh, I like little boys or I like little girls. It's I like children. Like there's not a sexual orientation. And, and like. And that's what drives you crazy. It drives me insane because there's not. A, a, there's associate a, it with sexual orientation. Uh, it's like it has nothing to do with sexual orientation. It is a literal like. It's a, a literal disease that can be cured if we address it, yeah. but we never, like, we won't. Well, and I think I go it's, back and now I think about scouts and the fact that I, I never had a male scout leader. They were always moms. They were always moms, like Centralia moms who oh, were taking really? up. Yeah, they, there was, I've, I have never experienced scouts with a man in charge. And I'm sure that was hap- what was happening in the 70s was a big part of it. But the interesting thing about the BSA versus the Catholic Church that, like you said, same boat same yeah, boat it's the same except cycle the bsa gets to set up their like troops like franchises so when something goes bad the blame will entirely fall on that leader and not, and not the, the organization BSA. so when you talk about people who are who knew what was going on but just like go back it that's so much more doable when you separate the lines of communication and insinuate that. I mean, and it's true. Like a scout leader doesn't necessarily communicate with any central branch of scouts. They yeah. send out how many scouts they have in that troop. They get the materials for that year of scouting. Mm-hmm. And, and then they set it all up. They set all their trips up. They set all their, their activities so up. So when they do something, like it is, you know, more ultimately on them, even though. BSA must know that they're setting up scenarios that make it so much easier to predate children. You know, Mm -hmm. like this is a not good situation if you're not checking the people who are doing it. Yeah. And that's where they fall responsible and that's where they have abdicated all responsibility. Mm -hmm. I agree. So all this Boy Scout research, which was very fascinating, but sickening, just knowing that like it's just another way that we uh, torture children in this country (laughs) i also i thought about when you talked about how scientology if you start talking about scientology you'll end up with uh like child pornography on your computer Uh and i thought about how us just looking into these weird tangents i felt like that was us opening the door like okay scientology like yeah (laughs) she's already knocked it down google search child porn a thousand times i can't tell you how many times on that database at school (laughs) like and they didn't even always call it child porn or kitty porn boy love boy love or boy mm-hmm. porn yeah was also a phrase that was used really often like it was it was so uncomfy every bit not, of this it, well that's where i'm leading to so the boy scout research led me to something that's 
actually even more insidious, if you can believe it. I was searching for sexual abuse cases in Illinois in the 70s, and the amount of Chicago Tribune articles on child pornography and sex trafficking rings was astounding. It exploded in it's the 70s. endless. But bear with me, this all goes somewhere, I promise. So in the late 1960s and early 1970s, there was a man named John D. Norman who was actively attempting to create networks of child sex trafficking rings around the United States. He first set up a ring in Dallas known as the Odyssey Foundation. Mm -hmm. So that was the initial sex trafficking location that began this network that spanned the entire United States. And it now like, is it global? It's just under a different oh, name. Oh, it's global, but yeah. But it's global yeah. now. So this is some conspiracy theory shit, but it's still fascinating and I have to include it. Norman was first arrested in Texas and police seized a card file index of 30,000 contacts, which included victims and clients of this sex trafficking ring. It was implied that many of the contacts were politicians, clergy, and millionaires. Dallas PD sent the card index to the State Department for investigation, but the State Department not only rejected the evidence, they destroyed the 30,000 name card the index. only copy. The only copy. They destroyed it. And, and they, they, did, they said they destroyed it. They didn't say, like, we lost it or we don't know where it is. They said, it's gone. We destroyed it. And they acted like that was standard operating procedure for evidence that they get that doesn't really lead anywhere. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but you have a list of names. In what way did this not lead anywhere? It led to 30,000 different places. file it. So, <sighs> the State Department lawyer could not explain why the cards were not forwarded to the uh, FBI as they should have been. Mm -hmm. After charges were filed against Norman, he fled to Chicago where he began the Delta Project. His vision for this organization was expanding upon a network of child sex slaves across the United States who could be called to service clients whenever needed. His plan was to establish dormitories designed to house three to four children at a time and be monitored by one or two adults, adult men. What were the what were the names? What the dormitories? No, the they had different like titles for the the man in oh, charge. Oh, it was like the, the Dons. Yeah, it was like the Dons and the and the. I remember there was like chicken hawk and chickens. Oh, chickens! chickens I remember were, that were young boys, and the chicken hawk was the person and that the was chicken like hawk was the, the person pimp. that was like pimping them out. Yeah. This is disgusting. Just FYI, everything you're about to hear is really gross. And we just we've read it like we're gonna sound really callous about it because we've now we've read it so many yeah. times that I'm just like I'm desensitized. I nothing you can say can surprise me. You can't hurt us anymore. <laughs> you can't hurt us anymore. <laughs> we've been hurt enough. Upon his arrest in Chicago, because duh, he was arrested, authorities discovered a new list of 5,000 clients, contacts, and subscribers to Norman's self-published magazine entitled, at the time, Hermes. It was published by the Odyssey Foundation. Mm -hmm. This magazine was supposedly a way for these pedophiles to network. This was before the deep web, obviously. Norman, was, Norman somehow continued to publish the magazine while he was in jail. Now, while in prison, he enlisted the help of Philip Pask, who was released prior to Norman and eventually took on the publication of um, this magazine. The Chicago Tribune eventually discovered that Pask was employed by the city of Chicago as a local swimming pool attendant. Now, where does it all connect? Well, with Gacy, for example, there were three checks from John Wayne Gacy that were paid to Pask from Gacy's construction company for unknown services. Yeah. 
And we know that multiple men could have been involved in Gacy's murders. He even claims that some of the bodies found in his home were not killed by him. So was he a chicken hawk? Was Gacy actually one of the men involved in this child sex sex trafficking ring who also had even more nefarious like yeah. intentions not only just raping these like young boys but murdering them and burying them under his house and the the checks were not large amounts no and the one of the upsetting things for me is that i also wonder is that the payment for not being able to forward these chickens to the next location you know like is this right. the like well sorry i killed them here's how much i think they're worth like yeah. that I don't know that that's the case, but mm-hmm. it's a weird or transaction. was the money what was it a subscription like a down payment? Yeah, to the the pedophile to the magazine magazine in and of itself. Yeah. So the Delta Project is also suspected to have provided children to men traveling offshore, taking to taking trips to Europe mostly. The Delta Project also has connections to the Boy Scouts of America. In 1974, police claimed that a group of adult perverts, is what they called them, in New Orleans established a Boy Scout troop for the purpose of using boys ranging 11 to 15 for sexual purposes. So we have this report online in an article about John Shakespeare, which reads, In late 1974, I waited on John Shakespeare at the Marriott Hotel in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. I discussed with him the Bugattis as my grandfather, and I saw them on a train passing in front of our house, and I remember the story of his sale. Shakespeare was beaten up in a bar in New Orleans days after I waited on him, and I think the newspaper said it was in a gay pool hall. He was beaten pretty badly. Shakespeare was keen on young men. Later, I read he was murdered, but I never had any idea of of a connection on the New Orleans case and the murder, though. So there's that. But now the bomb I'm about to drop. On April 24th, this is something you found. On April 24th, 1975, John Shakespeare placed an order with the Odyssey Club for $28, and the check cleared the First National Bank and Trust on May 1st, 1975, which was six days before he was murdered. Yeah. The Odyssey Club was located in Beverly Hills, California, and John's membership included the Odyssey Classifieds, which were directed at gay men, and for $1.50 per line, you could state your intentions and list a contact phone number. Now, does this mean that John Shakespeare was in on all of this child molestation and sex trafficking? No, absolutely not, but it does seem like he got himself involved with some people who maybe were and remember the magazine subscription because that comes in with something I'm going to talk about later, first of all, with another suspect. But the craziest part of the Delta Project, and this is something that you're going to talk about, is that there's article after article about it. The authorities claiming that it's a multi-million dollar industry, all these different police departments getting a hold of lists of clients and those lists go missing or get destroyed. And now today, if you Google the Delta Project, there is nothing there's nothing about this enormous child sex trafficking ring that supposedly existed all across the united states all across the world there's nothing and uh there's a reddit thread with links to articles that i referenced and i was also able to find references uh references on a newspaper archives website and i think there are two reasons for this one it was swept under the rug because a lot of important people were involved in it Mm -hmm. two homophobia 
because it is entirely possible that the Delta Project and the Odyssey Foundation were simply a way for gay men to connect and meet discreetly, but the climate at the time when it came to homosexual activities, if you will, was very twisted. Mm-hmm. And it could simply be that all of this was literally just a network for homosexual men like the grinder of the 70s yeah, 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 and people literally were like well homosexuals deviants pedophiles for sure so which is disgusting but it, that's and the history part of, of the problem like the one of the reasons why i think these organizations existed and predated uh young boys more than young girls was access because we also found that during this time period oh, yeah. like in the 1970s it was illegal to traffic a young girl like a minor girl across state lines without being one of her parents mm-hmm. but that was not the case for minor boys yeah you could just take them you could take them anywhere um, and there wasn't a technical law against crossing state lines with someone else's young boy. So the ease at which young boys during this time were trafficked for all purposes mm-hmm. is just absolutely incredible because there was this vacuum of law. Yeah. And so it grew and this organi- these organizations got bigger. That list that she talked about on Reddit, uh, you found it and it was basically a list of every single major bust of kitty porn of Mm -hmm. child trafficking in the last 40 years and basically insinuated that this vacuum of laws in the 1970s kind of made room for these organizations to grow and become international projects so it it definitely insinuates that our legal system during that time was a big problem but like you were saying i did some searching into America's history of conflating homosexuality with pedophilia. And so I'm mostly citing this UC Davis study that I kind of sent. It was uh, by Bryant in 1977 was part of it for bibliographic references that they pulled from. But so here's some here's some facts during this time. So gay people have been portrayed as a threat to children back in 1977 when Anita Bryant campaigned successfully to repeal a date county ordinance prohibiting anti-gay demonstration so this is like one county in florida that passed this law that said that housing and work discrimination based on uh, sexual orientation was illegal and anita bryant was like absolutely not i don't want gay men around my children at all whatsoever so we need to make it absolutely legal to discriminate against them in the workplace and that was 100 percent her goal and And i bet she dressed poorly Go oh on. she was dressed but she her had, hair was not fantastic actually she no gay friend she she was like the phyllis schlafly of the gay oh, movement God. like that was basically her role yeah in that current time like that was basically the space that she filled so she got it overturned the campaign was called save our children and warned oh that a God. particularly deviant minded gay teacher could sexually molest children like that was a hundred percent her arguments and so what we're missing from these arguments is that any facts at all yeah well any (laughs) pedophile is who she's talking about but she's using the word homosexual and when you look at all the articles that you were talking about Mm -hmm. oh my god the explosion of all the trafficking and all the child porn in the chicago in the 70s they were constantly referencing homosexual and the only time they used the word homosexual was when they were obviously talking about a sexual predator they weren't talking about a man who wanted to have sex with other grown men they were talking about yeah child traffickers child predators Mm -hmm. And and like you said like back then the reason that the children 
were mostly boys is because you could take boys. You couldn't take girls. You could just take them. You could just like transport them. They didn't have to be your own. So it was automatically assumed that it was a gay thing. Yeah. No, that absolutely. It was like, we want little boys. It's like, no, we just want children and boys are easy to take. And even in like, okay, so even in recent years, anti-gay activists have routinely asserted that gay people are child molesters. Um, this argument was often made in debates about the Boy Scouts of America's pub- uh, policy to exclude gay scouts and scoutmasters. More recently, in the wake of Republican Mark Foley's resignation from the U.S. House of Representatives in 2006, anti-gay activists and their supporters seized on the scandal to revive that particular argument that all homosexuals are, in fact, child molesters. The number of Americans who believe the myth that gay people are child molesters has declined substantially. Good. So in a 1970 (laughs) national survey, more than 70% of respondents agreed with the assertion that homosexuals are dangerous as teachers or youth leaders because they try to get sexually involved with children or that homosexuals try to play sexually with children if they cannot get an adult partner so you know the plan b right yeah well i can't get a boyfriend so i guess i'll just abuse a child that's logic so by contrast in a 1999 national poll the belief that most gay men are likely to molest or abuse children was endorsed by only 19 percent of heterosexual men and 10 percent of heterosexual women even fewer nine percent of men and six percent of women regarded most lesbians as child molesters so again while those numbers are you know significantly similar they still show a stronger bias against gay men in this particular respect and that's been a long history in america uh the discussion about homosexuality has largely been the discussion of why our children are unsafe from specifically homosexual men conclusion of a meta-study by uc davis showed that the empirical research does not show that gay or bisexual men are more likely than heterosexual men to molest children this is not to argue that homosexual and bisexual men never molest children but there's no scientific basis for asserting that they are more likely than heterosexual men to do so and as explained above many child molesters cannot be characterized as having an adult sexual orientation at all because they are fixated on children so the argument the argument about like having a sexual orientation isn't even the conversation that we need to be having. We need right. to be having a conversation about the mental illness that is drawing them into mm-hmm. this. And not... I have talked about this before on the show about how I do. It's not that I'm standing up for pedophiles. Pedophiles are disgusting, especially pedophiles that act on their desires. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pedophiles that act on their desires. Absolutely. You need to go to prison. You've committed a horrible crime. Yes. Or. Or just people that are are actively participating in um, any sort of child pornography. Because even if you are just someone who watches child pornography, the fact that you are contributing to a demand that is being filled is against the law. You need to be punished very harshly. Unless you lived in the 1970s. Unless you lived in the 1970s, which apparently you could just do it because it was fine. But what I've said on the show before with pedophilia now that we're we're getting closer to understanding not that close though because just recently in the news there was this like fake news article online that was spreading around that i saw a couple people from centralia post and i wanted to fucking scream every time saying that the lgbtq community wanted to add a p at the end for pedophiles yeah no i that, and it that was comes like, up once a year no I see that article that's not a thing it's not a sexual orientation but what i'd like to say is that we need to develop some sort of therapy for people who have, there are plenty of people who have attraction to children, Mm -hmm. sexual attraction to children, 
who never act on it yeah. and will never watch child pornography because they know that it's wrong, but it is a disease. It was probably because they were abused mm-hmm. when they were a certain age and now yeah. that is what they are sexually attracted to. But those people need to be able to go tell a therapist, I have these horrible thoughts. I have these horrible attractions. Please help me without the therapist immediately being like, I have to contact the police now. Yeah, well, Because then it- that leads to... The bad stuff. And we have such weird hangups about all forms of sexuality in this country. So yeah. the concept of that ever being discussed and addressed feels like it's a pipe dream. Yeah. Because a an open conversation about that would just make everyone involved so uncomfortable that they're not likely to actually address a problem yeah. as much as they are to... You know, just repress it as much as they can until something bad happens. Yeah, and then just <laughs> you know punish them for the bad thing that happened. So we have mentioned this several times that we think that, well, we we kind of know that we've we've seen the evidence that Shakespeare was a homosexual. It's not proof. We have no proof. Yeah, we have no. There was no letters from him saying like I'm gay. Like nothing. We just have. Uh, many people when questioned just kind of knew it's not even a hateful way it's not even like it you seemed know. like it was a matter of fact like, yeah it was yeah. like well yeah he was gay you yeah. know everyone kind of knew we, we didn't, didn't really talk we about didn't it talk about then. it yeah it wasn't you know and and even you know back then it might have been like yeah i thought he was kind of strange and then growing up and being like if you're still alive in this time being like oh he was gay well and if it had in been a decade earlier of course. Yeah, yeah if it had been a decade earlier it i don't even know if we would have had that information because True. once again, we're talking about the sexual revolution. We're talking about one of the first times that you see actual gay activists. You see the mm-hmm. Stonewall, you know, like you see people saying like, I'm gay and I'm not ashamed of it and I'm not going to hide who I am anymore. And who was it? Oh, it was um, All in the Family, right? All in the Family had the first openly gay yeah. character. Yes. He came out and uh, then Nixon was furious. He like mm-hmm. wrote the Didn't show writers it. and mm-hmm. told them how disgusting it was that they were glorifying it mm-hmm. because they were acknowledging its existence. Yeah. Which has been part of the conversation. You know, like yeah. that's always been part of the conversation. So that led us to think maybe two things. One, I'll start with what we started this whole conversation on. And that is the uh, fact that it could have been a parent seeking revenge mm-hmm. for a child molestation. The reason that I don't buy that is one, there was never any evidence that John Shakespeare. And the thing is, is like John Sh- Shakespeare was rich. He was affluent. He wasn't an upstanding member of the town. No, he wasn't like, it wasn't like uh, our local parish priest was caught doing this or like our, our Senator or our, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he wasn't, that he was more of so a there curiosity. was no reason to if they found evidence that he was housing if he was a chicken hawk and he was housing these chickens or yeah. if he he was a a known pedophile yeah there's no reason to protect him it, it's he's not the mayor yeah he's not that kind of prominent he's he, prominent in the fact that he's the richest guy who's probably ever lived here but he wouldn't tear down the reputation of centralia by, by having being like oh centralia. this guy it would actually probably be easier because they're be like, like well, he, he's he, not from here he's not from here one two fucking touch kids who cares if he died moving yeah. on yeah so exactly i do not think that there was any evidence of that also two i do feel like if a parent was trying to get revenge uh, because they knew that he was a child molester. I think that 
one, all the tying up, that's unnecessary. Yeah. They would have gone there with a gun. They would have shot him it as he answered the door. Absolute rage. And he would have left. Yeah. And two, he probably would have had injuries other than the gun. And he would have been beat. There just wouldn't be the obviously complied with a lot of the situation that he ended up with. And like he must have complied in some way to get the handcuffs on him. Is that what you're saying? Well, and just to be there without there being any signs of a struggle, you Uh know, like, I don't know exactly when he started struggling, but I can't imagine even if you have somebody like tied up with and handcuffed to a chain that it would be easy to tie two towels together over their head. Like I keep True, coming back to that, him, like like, sh- like moving around or what shit. weird yeah. macrame, like non oh, tying two <laughs> towels together. Like it just didn't make sense to me. It, yeah. As, but it does kind of fit into the inexperienced Parents. murderer mm-hmm. doesn't want to actually look somebody in the yeah. eyes when they're taking a life. Like that does seem to fit in with that. So maybe I just disproved my own. Maybe I'm maybe I'm team angry parent. No, I don't think I am. I'm that, not team it, angry. I, I've got some There's, other teams. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on some other teams. I'm not on team angry. Yeah, parents. I'm more of a free agent right now. Yeah, but the other thing that we looked into, which we'll talk about a little bit more now again, is the fact that he was a homosexual. Could it have been a hate crime? Mm, yeah. But again, uh, yeah, I can't I, speak I, to the environment. I could. I can't speak to the environment at, of, of Centralia at the time. One thing that we can bring up is Junior Patton. Yeah, Junior another, Patton. Another name that was mentioned one or two times in the investigation was a man named Junior Patton. And definitely rumored throughout town. So yes, even outside of the investigation, in, yeah. a lot of people in town definitely mentioned his name as like, maybe it was Junior. Mm-hmm. And Junior Patton was homeless. Yeah, it seems like he definitely... <laughs> He was basically, he was always known. He was seen wandering about town, um, mumbling to himself. He would die, he would dumpster dive. Um, he had some sort of shed living situation. Yeah. It wasn't like a house. It was just kind of like a mattress and some, I don't know. Yeah. Junior Patton is a is like a Centralia mystery, but like mm-hmm. a Centralia legend because everyone you ask about Junior Patton, they have a story like mm-hmm. the rock. Throat. Yeah. This yeah. person was just talking so nostalgically about about the time mm -hmm. that like junior Patton walked by their house. And I mean, keep in mind, it's the seventies. This man is seen as having some sort of like mental imbalance, but also like a rumored homosexual at some points. Mm -hmm. And so definitely somebody who was considered strange by the town for some reason. And also like definitely seen digging into dumpsters several times, but definitely walked by the house and was digging in their trash to the kid. The, this person was a child at the time, came out and like threw rocks like you do at a homeless person digging through your trash, I guess. <laughs> and then... It's a very heartwarming story. Yeah. And then Junior Patton walked away and then came back later and the kid was still outside. And so Junior Patton picked up some rocks and started throwing at the kid. And then they have this like rock fight <laughs> where they're just throwing rocks at each other. Yeah. Because it was the 70s and like, that's a toy. So... Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> like lawn darts were still a thing. Lawn darts were still a thing. Rock fights with homeless people. Rock fights with homeless people. Children got hurt the end yeah like it, <laughs> and this person was talking about it with love like yeah like oh wait, yeah uh, we, he was always such a weird guy and he was like but he was really just a kid at heart it's definitely kind of like definitely would like... always make some time to throw rocks yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But the reason that I found Junior Patton to be the most interesting is because Junior Patton uh, was a rumored homosexual, Mm -hmm. as you said. And he used to, before he kind of lived on the street and dug through the trash, had his own business. Yeah, flower shop. He He was a florist. He had a flower shop that was burned down. Yeah. And it was arson. Like, it was proven to be arson. Undoubtedly. Of course, it could have been that he burnt his own shop down to get some sort of insurance policy on it. And there were always that rumors that he was actually one of the richest people in Centralia. Yeah. Like, even we were just upstairs talking to your mom, uh-huh. and that was something that she mentioned, yeah, was that she there was always that, rumor that he had money. Yeah, that he had a ton of money, but he was living on the street and like digging out of trash. Yeah, and just like very destitute in all mm-hmm. of the his mannerisms of expression. Yeah. Or, again, could have been a hate crime. Yeah. It could have been someone said, like, this gay man in our small southern Illinois town. I don't want your gay flowers. I don't want your gay flowers. I'm going to burn your fucking place Which, down. like, okay, Centralia, like, you get one nice thing. You get one gay man to show up and, like, <laughs> plant some beautiful plant things. some beautiful flowers. And even, like, a lot of people were counted memories of him after this that they would like give him plants that they were having trouble keeping alive oh, yeah. and he would he revive would them revive it was he was plants. like the powder yeah. of centralia i think for a while <laughs> like he would just come in <laughs> like feel the plant's pain and fix it and, but it was the like powder would, of centralia. <laughs> it was definitely uh. one of his skills though like he he was I, I prolific i'll borrow one of your words yeah. from earlier he was he was a very prolific uh, person who works with plants. I can't think of that word right now, but he... agriculturist, sure, no, horticulturalist, yeah, Horti- horticulturalist, florist, florist. Here's a florist. <laughs> <laughs> Worked with flowers. Man who works with flowers. Yeah. That's his Native American name. Which also, you know, like who's to say whether he was an actual homosexual or he or... just like was a florist, and they were like gay. gay. Yeah, no, like a hundred percent. Absolutely but I do feel like back in the day, I mean, I'm literally just going off my knowledge of um, this, you know, the 50s and 60s based off of Little Shop of Horrors. But mm, mm, yeah, <laughs> documentary, the documentary Little Shop of Horrors. He was he was a male florist. He wasn't gay. I yeah. feel like that was a popular thing. I feel like they they though incredibly emasculated throughout the entire film. Oh, well, that's true. Never mind. <laughs> so anyways, that was the only reason that Junior Patton's name even came up. And then, of course, Junior Patton uh, eventually got sent away to um, a sanitarium because he was kind of seen as a danger to himself, a danger to the community. He was getting he was slipping a little bit more and more into um, his sanity was slipping. Yeah. Should we say? So he got sent to a sanitarium. As I know, as legend tells, though, mm-hmm. or they they supposedly after he was sent, they found just oodles and oodles of cash under the mattress that he slept on. Right. And which was another thing that made people go like, oh, he did kill John Shakespeare, which yeah. is like, I don't know how you make that connection. They've already said that nothing was stolen from John Shakespeare. Oh, though. OK, this is OK. Interesting tangent. Uh-huh. Because uh, this feeds into the fact that John Shakespeare's house wa- had like some weird construction facets. Yes. So did. in his home, he had several uh, fake ventilation 
uh, yeah, like Vince. fake Vince, yeah, fake Vince, actual fake pipes coming out of his wall. Mm-hmm. That when you opened them, they were storage spaces. Yeah, that you filled could... with a coin collection. And yeah, it was or... always like weird coins from other countries mm-hmm. and just like gold. They talked about gold sometimes. Yeah. Um. So like, definitely a pirate. Like a hundred percent, no doubt about pirate. it. Definitely was a pirate. <laughs> but. That's the whole thing is Ralph Porter, his uh, his handyman, was the one who installed all of those hidden things. Like that was part of the the storyline because the police didn't even realize that like when they investigated the house, they didn't find it. He had to walk them to each of those spaces and show them. Yeah. And that's where they found all that money that they put in those envelopes. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and the thing is, too, you think maybe maybe someone was trying to rob him and tied him up and mm-hmm. was questioning, like, where is it? Where's the money? Oh, yeah, where an interrogation. Is this but then they didn't harm him. But they didn't harm him. And if they were trying to, if they were already planning on killing him, if they were already planning on, you know, if they were there to rob him, then the next step, obviously, would be to beat the shit out of him. Yeah. To get the information this or torture him in some way. You're not just going to yell at him. Yeah. And then kill him. When you don't find anything? And I mean, like, here's my thing. Is with so many fake pipes, and because it, it felt like it was in, in excess of 12. It felt like there were yeah, more there was quite a few. than just a couple of weird hidey holes. Like, he had a lot. So I'm annoyed with the police that they didn't, like, maybe poke at one vent and just be like, there's a lot of vents in this house. Like, more than I think the average should have. Yeah. If that's the storyline, if they, if they did have a break in and they wanted to steal something that specifically the police wouldn't realize was stolen, which like that's a lot of forethought yeah. for a robbery if you don't know what you're going in to get. Yeah. Because how would you know? Like, how, how would, would they you? know? I mean, he did. I mean, he was very public about some of the things that he owned, though. I mean, the yes. world knew about the Bugattis. Mm-hmm. But they were already sold at the time. Mm-hmm. So I think that that leaves us with. It all comes back to William Wom and this mysterious hitchhiker mm-hmm. who we should talk about. Yeah, this feels like when the X-Files theme song comes on. Like 100% Quinn Devin. Quinn Devin, the most Irish fake name they could come up with. Like, <laughs> like just... Horrible. Honestly, had only looked at two names of a native Irish person, I'm assuming, and uh-huh. just... Threw them together. Well, we've already talked about how mysterious it was that William Wom drove to Mount Vernon to pick up this hitchhiker and then brought him back and then let him stay the night at his house. So basically, we tried to figure out who the fuck Quinn Devin was because mm-hmm. we thought both of us separately and together that that was not his real name. Couldn't be. Even though one of the people that was questioned was a, um, I don't remember her first name, but it was like Mrs. Devon, and it was believed to be his mother. Really? Yeah, Quinn Devon's mother. I remember reading that the police did call the country of Ireland, and <laughs> that they you found know. no record of a journalism professor by that name ever having existed. Also, like, why was this, why was a journalism professor fucking... Hitching a ride. Hitching a ride. I mean, it was the seventies, but this was also the height of like hitchhiker murderer stories. True. Yeah. You know, this is when hitchhiking became illegal. This was the decade when Mm -hmm. it happened. Yeah, because it was. uh, There were either hitchhikers murdering or or people murdering hitchhikers. Which you know, 
you know, happened that's, a that's lot. That's hell of an Uber charge. <laughs> that's that's uh, uh, how much does it cost? Your life. <laughs> so one of the things that we came across in terms of Quinn Devon, which we've already kind of told you his story, was a man named Don Kennedy Majors. And this actually came about because a local from Centralia at one point mentioned they believed the hitchhiker Quinn Devon uh, was actually named Don Majors. Mm -hmm. So we looked into Don Majors. And I first found mention of Don Kennedy Majors on a legal site, uh, case 76CR777, United States versus Majors, which is a nine-count indictment that charges him with the illegal possession of unregistered unnumbered guns and unlawfully transporting them after being convicted of a felony already. So he had a sawed-off repeating rifle, a silencer, a hand grenade, a pistol, and a derringer with its serial numbers all scraped off. Was he also the the, the front man for Blues Traveler? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? mm -hmm. Yep. He also had a number of harmonicas. <laughs> <laughs> Strapped to his chest. Just ready to go. This case stated that he was arrested in a motel room in Madison. Is that how you say it? Madison? M-A-T-T-E-S-O-N. Oh, yeah, for sure. Madison, Illinois, which is three hours away from Centralia. So he And he was arrested about two months after John Shakespeare was found murdered. So that puts him in the state at probably at Ish. the time of the yeah. murder. So I went about trying to find out why he was arrested. And he was arrested... In case number 46765, Don Kennedy Majors was charged with first-degree murder on October 17th, 1978. This is when he was charged mm -hmm. for killing Franklin Monahan on or around December 13th, 1974, which was five months prior to the murder of Shakespeare. This was and it in took them 10 months to arrest him for this murder? They didn't know. And I'll tell you a little bit about the murder. It's kind of uh, crazy. This was in Washington, and it was before he made his way across the Midwest to Illinois. So you were the one that actually, you found the book by Anne Rule, yeah. right? So it was called, uh, and this is like Stranger Beside Me fame, Anne Rule. She's yeah. like the, the most famous true crime writer in the world. Yeah, like Truman Capote was like, here's this one book. And she's like, here's a million. Here's 1,000 I just books. buckle up, guys. <laughs> So she actually wrote about his crimes, Don Kennedy Major's crimes, in one of her anthology books called But I Trusted You yeah. in a chapter called Monaghan's Last Date. And it's about 60 pages long. So I'm going to give the highlights of the things that interested me the most about Don Kennedy Major's. But everyone should read it because it's actually really fascinating. The police work is pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. It's called Monahan's Last Date because it's essentially about the murder of Franklin Monahan. Franklin's body was found on May 28th, 1975, which is after yeah. John Shakespeare was murdered. But May he, 7th or 8th, he was depending. killed the October prior. Yeah. So his body was found May 28th, frozen in the snow along a small highway in Washington. How are you frozen in May? Well, he was killed in October. Oh, he was. Uh, sorry. Yeah. And this was Washington, like in the mountains. It was like a mountain. Um, oh, okay. So like this a, is like the bodies the on Everest that yes. just stay there forever. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so he was found frozen. They obviously didn't know who he was. He had all his teeth, but no jewelry, no identification. The body decomposition was so far along for Frank. Like there were no fingerprints left. Yeah. They knew the body had been there throughout the winter, judging by the condition of the body. So after the autopsy, they found a small metal fragment between the tongue and the jawbone. It appeared to be part of a shattered bullet. They found more pieces of lead in the soft tissue when they removed the jawbone. So they determined he was shot in the back of the head and killed instantly. So who the fuck was this dead body? 
Like I said, this is a 60-page story, so I'm not going to tell you how the police find out, but it's super impressive, and I can't believe they did. So they discovered the man to be Frank Monahan through impressive ways, and is in his personal safe, they found several sex magazines and publications. Great. Supposedly a swingers mag, an erotic journal, etc., etc. Could some of those magazines be related to the Odyssey or the Delta Project? I don't know. Mm-hmm. They did not. She did not list the magazines. So, yeah, like, is this just Don Kennedy Majors on a weird vigilante slash maybe just gay bashing well, journey? Gay bashing journey. Apparently, they determined that what would happen in these magazines is that models would send in their pictures in various stage of undress. No details about whether they were underage or not. Just said models, mm-hmm. and they were able to connect Don Kennedy Majors here because. His photo was in Frank Monahan's album of potential people he wanted to contact. So models, and but when I say models, I mean just like people who wanted to be connected via these sexual magazines would send in their photos, or again, and you'd pay to have your photo put in this magazine, or you could pay to have like a blurb put in this magazine, very much so like the odyssey yeah. the hermes or whatever but the like pre internet match.com exactly also. so i think that it's the same situation but i just okay so here short pause seeing a picture of don kennedy majors as you and i have and i don't know what he looked like necessarily during this time but i feel like that was we saw the picture that we saw was around his arrest mm-hmm. right like i said when i say models i don't mean yeah, people yeah, yeah. are good looking <laughs> I just in my head, I'm just thinking like, okay, if I have a whole magazine full of people that I could, I'm not gonna pick fucking Don Kennedy Majors because he looks like he's he does hard drugs. You got some low self esteem if this is the phone call that you made. (laughs) I just I and like that sounds so mean, but like this guy kind of does. He does look like he's got missing teeth. Mm -hmm. Like life has not been the kindest. He's got sunken cheeks. Yeah. Yeah. Like very, if now we would think that he was just addicted to math. Yeah, like that now, was just like if exactly he, if what I saw him on the like. street. I'd be like, oh, okay, he does math. Mm-hmm. Sure. So they were able to connect majors to Frank Monahan. Several other people whose correspondence with Fra- Francis Monahan were questioned as well. All of the people that were questioned were well off, pillars of their community. Some were even holding positions of power. One man finally admitted, well, most of them completely denied knowing and completely denied, like, having anything to do with these sexual magazines. And we're like, I don't know how they got my photo. And it was like, your name. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. One man finally admitted to knowing him, Don Majors, and said that he answered one of Majors' ads and that Major actually introduced him to a girl, which I can only assume means that Major was kind of a pimp Mm -hmm. or. A sex trafficker. And you saw that in the book, connected. too, that he like was often referenced as bringing ladies around. He was, exactly. And I don't know if he was a pimp and these, these ladies were willingly being pimped out to people or if he was sex trafficking mm-hmm. and they were uh, Slaves, not. Yeah. Basically. He said that majors had majors liked to brag and at one point said that he was a hitman in Chicago. So we've already connected that majors could have been... A contracted killer. Yeah. Almost everyone that knew Brad Ma- or Brad Majors, that's the name of uh, an actor who is not a murderer. I am so sorry, Brad Majors. Um, almost everyone that knew Don Kennedy Majors was under the impression that he was a truck driver. But there's a lot of other super fascinating stuff about Frank Monahan. But at this point, we've got Majors in Illinois, 
Two months after the murder of the Shakespeare of Shakespeare for sure, we've got sex magazines and publications, either prostitution or sex trafficking, and the method of the murder shot in the back of the head, the exact same twenty two caliber bullets so far. Yeah, we've got some him, strong yeah, similarities. Pretty, exactly. So right before he got arrested, there's this as well. Right before he got arrested, he and two unidentified women were driving to Illinois. They made a five day stopover in Salon Springs, Wisconsin. They visited with a well-to-do man who had written an ad looking for some action. How he put it. Great. Majors and the two women enjoyed his hospitality, ate his food, drank all his booze, etc. He eventually got fed up since he hadn't got to have sex yet and told them to leave. Then Don Kennedy Majors forced him into a root cellar beneath his home, bound his wrists and ankles tightly, threaded a cord with a light bulb, this is kind of insane. He threaded a cord with a lighted light bulb on one end, trailing it from the cellar and over the top of the basement door. He left the light bulb suspended inches above an open container of gasoline. It was oh basically God. a saw situation. Jesus. Yeah. Like, this guy. He placed uh, another full container of gas next to the homemade bomb. Then he nailed plywood over the root cellar door. Then he cleared the man's home of valuables, including his new car. The man managed to wriggle free of his bonds and cut his way through the ceiling, allowing him to escape without disturbing the homemade bomb. And lucky for him, because experts like the authorities said that if the gas and the bulb met, the explosion would have leveled his house and possibly the adjoining homes. I am so Impressed. regularly shocked <laughs> at how easy it is to like completely level a home based on things that you can buy totally legally so the police were looking for these three immediately yeah. right because obviously this was insane and uh, on july 8th 1975 the fbi received a phone call from one of the girl's mothers saying she was trapped in a hotel room in madison illinois with don kennedy majors her daughter told her that majors was planning to kill a man at 9 a.m at the hotel all she knew was the man's name was al and he lives in crete illinois and that Al met Majors through a sex magazine. Seems like a pretty cut and dry case, but there's no proof he was in Centralia. No undeniable proof he had any connection to Shakespeare. Shakespeare had a ton of valuables that weren't stolen, so that doesn't fit the MO. However, remember Ralph Porter said that he came by and heard shuffling in the basement. So what if Majors got scared away before he could steal anything? Okay, now I need to think about the timeline again because Ralph Porter heard shuffling... Was that Wednesday night? Was that... I don't know. I don't remember reading okay. when it was. It, it was in the afternoon, I believe, because the window was broken. He was doing his normal like afternoon come in and check. I think he mowed a part of the lawn or something. It seems like he mowed the lawn in sequence. Like It, it was very... Yeah. He he divvied up his jobs throughout the week. He, he wasn't right. going to have like a one hard day of work. Um, <laughs> and so he went down into the basement because he saw that a light wasn't and the light had burned out in the basement like right. the the stairwell light had burned out and so that's why he was in the basement that afternoon and he heard the shuffling but this was before the dinner the shuffling correct well it might have even happened during the dinner what about the second hitchhiker which we haven't brought up yet yeah that could explain it could have been the second hitchhiker which could again be don kennedy majors yeah. so on wednesday may 7th the day that he probably died the day of the dinner mm -hmm. everything this man harry harry what's his last name harry wright 
picked up a hitchhiker in Sandoval at 9.35 a.m. Or Sandoval is is right next to Central. Very near, yeah. Yeah, you can get there in like seven minutes. The hitchhiker was described as six feet tall and appeared to be around 25 years old, which here's the thing. Don Kennedy Majors was like 30-something, like late 30s. Homegirl wasn't pulling off early 20s by any means. However, if there's anything I know about crimes, it's that witness... Accounts are always inaccurate. Horribly inaccurate. Our brains don't remember details in that way. Especially like how tall someone was. Yeah. Especially if it's six foot. That's such like a. Well, there's racial implications too because like they did a study and regardless of the person being asked the question, Mm -hmm. they would remember African American men as larger than they actually were. Like a hundred percent of the, the time, oh, uh, it wow. didn't matter what your background was. It didn't matter what your racial makeup was. You were going to remember a black man That's as being much bigger. larger than he actually was. Interesting. It it could have something to do with intimidation. They were more intimidated by a black man, so they. They literally, their mind saw them as a bigger figure. Uh, Wow, that's, yeah, that makes sense. But this man had light brown ear length hair, which he did at the time. Don Kennedy Majors did at the time. The hitchhiker supposedly spoke normal English, which is probably how someone from Centralia would say, without an accent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he approached the car and the hitchhiker asked if he was going to Centralia, in which Harry Wright said yes. On the way to Centralia, the hitchhiker told Mr. Wright that he had been on the road for six days and was coming from Iowa, which is on the way from Washington, if you look at a map, <laughs> which I did. <laughs> he thought it was unusual that the hitchhiker was only carrying a small package. Now, if it was Don Kennedy Majors, it could be that he wasn't a hitchhiker at all, that he had a hotel room, but hitchhiked from the hotel room to Centralia and yeah. left his stuff in the hotel room. The hitchhiker reached into his pocket and pulled out a piece of paper and read it, and he asked where 514 South Pine was in Centralia. Was that John Shakespeare's house? Holy, this this is the one. Yeah, so Mr. Wright asked who the guy was looking for and was told that he didn't know the name of the individual who lived at that address. So he didn't know who he was going to meet. He just had an address. Oh, so this is definitely one of those like... Sex magazine yeah. situations, mm-hmm. I think. I think it, because here's the thing. Shakespeare... Wrote a check for the Odyssey Foundation, yeah. right? Within a week, this random man is in Centralia looking for his address, like, or trying to get to his South Pine, the street mm-hmm. that he lives on, doesn't know his name, like, doesn't know who he's going to see, only has an address and a phone number. He has a phone number as well. It's just so strange. I just can't imagine because it well, was a different time. Yeah, because there was no internet. There was no correspondence, really, except for... Like, please, anyone who knows me, if somebody just mentions my address and my phone number and doesn't know, like, my name, please do not give them directions to my house. Yeah, don't give them... Yeah. And that goes to Google, too, because you know Google's going to be the one that gives them directions I know. I mean, it could simply be something like... Like a weird delivery? A delivery, because he had the small package. Mm Could have been a gun. Um, delivery could have been like he was a handyman coming from out of town doing some sort of handiwork or he was he trying to buy something. Specialists. He yeah. did. He often contacted specialists. He often uh, was trying to sell certain things like his cars mm-hmm. or like some of the things. So it could have been someone interested in buying something from him. So Mr. Wright gave him directions to the South Pine address and the hitchhiker informed Mr. Wright that he would contact the house on South, Fo- South Pine by phone. So he had the phone number and address. 
could he have gotten it from the Odyssey subscription? Did Don Kennedy Majors work for the Odyssey magazine as a pimp or a prostitute, or did he just have the magazine and would call these men and sometimes rob and kill yeah, them? Use it as his like list. This would actually explain why John Shakespeare was tied up and not tortured. It could explain why William Wom was dining with this mysterious hitchhiker and was super secret about it. Like if if William Wom was like, it it could even explain like if if William Wom wasn't gay but yeah. was cheating like just, on his wife. Mm. You know oh, what yeah, I mean? With one of, the, one with of, the one of that... Don Kennedy's women, it could have been that Don Kennedy was just bringing women into town, and this was sort of like a business transaction. Because they quote like to party. Because they like to party, and that could explain why the police were also keeping it under wraps. They were trying to protect the powerful people of Centralia for being exposed as participating in prostitution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no that that seems like one of the soundest theories that. I've heard about this murder. Well, my only problem is the witness testimony doesn't match. Mm-hmm. You know, Quinn Devon, for example, was described as being 5'10", 26 to 36 years old. And as far as I can tell, Don Majors was never spoke with any dialects, Irish or otherwise. He did have a ton of different names, some of them more ridiculous than others. He went by Don Kennedy, John Chandler, John O'Hara. O'Hara, Irish. Oh. Don Kennedy Majors. Oh, no. Don Dennedy Majors. That's (laughs) ridiculous. Don Thompson and John Williams. Maybe also Quinn Devon. We don't know. But there's no proof that he spoke in a dialect of any kind. And um, and he he looks so much older than 35. Yeah. It would be hard to peg him for that. It would be hard to peg him for the guy, Quinn Devon, that met up with them for dinner. But like I said. Quinn Devon and Don Kennedy Majors don't have to be the same person, but they're both redheads. They have the same length hair as described. They were and both let's passing through, whether they were hitchhiking or like strangers in Centralia. I don't know. I I have a love hate relationship with our hometown. You know, like there yes. are there are aspects yeah. of uh, like I would never trade it for anything. I loved growing up mm-hmm. here. You know, like we. Got to go to the same daycare. We've technically known each other since we were two years old. Technically. <laughs> um, but in all this conversation about people identifying his quote unquote Irish accent, mm-hmm. I keep coming back to how the hell do they know what an Irish accent sounds like? Like, I, I know, realize that yeah, it's 1975 <laughs> and like the television exists, right? Like, people have heard Irish yeah. accents before. But I still don't believe you. I mean, you. it's still a part of the ta- the country. The Midwest is still a part of a country where if you come in, you have a de- dialect. Like if you have a British dialect, they're like, you sound like you're from England. Yeah, funny you know sounding. I mean? is funny like, sounding. It's, it's like a category, not uh-huh. necessarily as specific. Right. You wouldn't be able to like, he sounds like he's from the British Isles. Yeah. And, like, and like we don't know how the investigation went. We don't know, like, can you remember anything interesting about him? Did he talk with an accent of something? And they're like, yeah, maybe... Maybe like British or what would you say? You know, like we don't know how right, leading the questions know. were. Mm-hmm. We don't because this clearly wasn't because the well. investigation was a fucking nightmare. You know, like maybe they just held the Irish flag over their heads <laughs> while they were asking about it. <laughs> like, just, oh. So we don't know. Yeah. Okay. So there <laughs> are a couple. That, yeah. uh, go ahead. Oh, no, go on. I was going to say, I know that. You know, you may be listening to this for three hours and go, are you kidding? You don't have an answer. But we don't. It's still unsolved to this day. 
There's so many leads. And there's just no, there's not really new information no. as much as there is conflicting information. Mm-hmm. So every time that you read the next bit, you find that it kind of either refutes what you just learned. Yeah. Or there are two completely different accounts of the exact same yeah. moment. So, for instance, Quinn Devon walked around town or yeah this person claiming to be quinn devon because uh, very early on we both agreed that that just isn't a person who exists no we've tried to research quinn devon as a an instructor as a an american citizen yeah we've w- the name doesn't pop up fucking anywhere so one weird account by this guy uh tony cunningham who for reasons that are probably very interesting to this case is now serving time in prison for molesting young girls. Okay. But he stated that after examining a chessboard at a local shop, Quinn Devon and the two young men, so uh, Tony Cunningham and one of their friends, who I did not catch the name of, uh, went for a walk through Centralia, at which point Tony was asked to smoke marijuana with Devon. Tony refused, stating that he was studying martial arts and this would not be proper. What? Because that, okay. that's the, like, apparently child molestation is still on board. But oh, yeah, but not marijuana. Don't you touch the devil's lettuce. <laughs> Upon hearing this, Devon replied, if you would hit me, I would shoot you. Quinn Devon went on to tell Tony that he had some knowledge of fighting, and the three returned to the Sheridan, where Devon demonstrated he could take a knife from Tony's hand with his bandana, and that's the blue, like, they claim that that is the same color of bandana that was found on the floor, that blue bandana that we talked about. Interesting. So that's, like, a weird connection that does get brought up. I just have so many questions about this interaction. Like, it just seems like three dudes just really admiring one another's strength in a strange way (laughs) um and like if okay so say the hitchhiker is a like a gay prostitute right and then this is super strange because why is william wom like trying to pretty woman his weird prostitute that he just picked up in mount vernon yeah by getting him gussied up and like changing his clothes and then sending him about town to run around with people who like tony cunningham was not known in town for being like a like straight arrow he was he was uh always kind of running with a rougher crowd Mm -hmm. and i like the narrative following that he eventually ended up in prison was just not surprising as a narrative for what people knew about him um so tony cunningham ends up being kind of interesting because and just with that slight interaction like his memory of that time slash being clearly pro child molestation in Mm -hmm. some way you know like that's That's very interesting and then ron goff who was also a troop leader with john shakespeare for the explorer scouts Mm -hmm. he was the adult who you might recall sent the scouts to shakespeare's house to check on him and that's when the kids found that the police were there and like something something had gone down so they went back and told goff that like i don't think that Shake is coming over. Yeah, I don't think he's showing up for the meeting today. But this guy is a whole trip. So he taught eighth grade at Irving Grade School, which is a grade school in our town. Mm -hmm. And then he went on to lead several Boy Scout troops with Shake. He didn't get a response. Like, he was found trying the locked door 
the on May 7th, he quote unquote called on Shake at his house and tried the door, which to me insinuates that he had some level of familiarity where he felt like he could just walk in from time to right. time. But trying a door that doesn't have a handle that works to me means that he was pushing to see if the door was just propped open. Yeah. And, and if he could get in without alerting whoever was in the house. And so that's a weird habit for somebody to have connected to a murder that they Absolutely. just walk in. They were supposed to be preparing for a canoe trip was the uh, reason why he was calling on him. But in 1995, the same man, Goff, pled guilty to six class two felony counts of ag- aggravated criminal sexual battery in Madison County. The victims were two minor boys. Goff retired from education in 1993 with his last job at Edwardsville Junior High School as the principal. So he was just so often in career fields that involved children. And one of the things, like he now lives very, very close to where I live. And I found that he gets an unannounced visit once a month from local police just to make sure that. And he's the same age as the rest of these guys. So he's 90 something now. So, I mean, but still to the extent that he gets checked on regularly, which is pretty big. Yeah. I mean, part of me is like, it's way too, it's way too crazy to think that there was this insanely huge countrywide pedophile sex ring that people in my hometown we're involved in but that is but that kind of seems like what's going on i mean it's i mean the <laughs> ring existed i mean that's already the ring is a real thing. insane yeah so the possibility that it reached here isn't more insane than the existence Chicago's of the ring what, four itself hours away yeah and they they've already said that they had a location in dallas they had a location in kentucky Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, oh my gosh. They look, had a whole school in Kentucky. They yeah, set up they a did. school, an entire school, that the only purpose was to uh, groom and groom, take yeah, these young children boys. and and literally groom them to be prostitutes. Yeah. And that's disgusting. And I cannot believe that it's just like wiped from history. Yeah. I mean, you we can't don't find it. We don't have a lot of evidence. You of can it. find it in newspaper articles. If you search, if you have a fucking subscription to newspaper.com, you can search that stuff. Yeah. Or, you know, you can find conspiracy Reddit threads, which is where I stumbled upon it initially before I started looking at other places. But yeah, it's just like, it's not, there's no, there's not even a fucking Wikipedia about the Delta Project, the Odyssey Foundation, none of this. It is actively hard to research because someone, that some ago, group of people, assumedly, have, have ab- absolutely made sure that it's that hard to find. You yeah. know, like that, that was by design, it seems. Mm-hmm. There is a fan theory, and I'm Ooh. calling it that on purpose. <laughs> Just a fan of the murder, not necessarily like your fans but maybe maybe (laughs) there's some overlap we'll we'll see (laughs) but the fan theory is that if this if we did have a whole angry parent get seeking retribution that it could just as easily have been mistaken identity with ron goff that a furious parent didn't necessarily know which scout leader had done it and so killed john shakespeare because there was literally no account that that I could find of any parent saying or any child saying that John Shakespeare had done anything to them. Yeah, no, so, and you would think after all of this time 
but also like male victims are the least likely to ever speak on it so out of embarrassment or shame or yeah that's true but you'd think that someone even a child at the time would say to their parent like i'm glad he's dead or you know but it didn't seem to be that way i don't know or just like i feel safer now Mm -hmm. something along those lines and it like that wasn't the case like centralia didn't seem thrilled that this happened Mm -hmm. um because that was definitely one of the lines that we looked at we looked at like the maybe the police just didn't investigate this because they were like good one less queer yeah one less gay guy which is exactly what we heard so many times while looking into like local accounts it didn't even seem like they had an opinion about it other than to say like good riddance one less gay man yeah and so that i mean that was just strange in and of itself but it Mm -hmm. felt very true to where we grew up you know the thing i doubt the Don Kennedy Majors Association, the biggest thing is that the police did question him. Mm-hmm. He was questioned after he was arrested for murder. Yeah. And for whatever reason, it was never, well, this could be two different things. For whatever reason, it was never pursued. But Don Kennedy Majors is in prison for life. Yeah. So it could be that he might be dead, actually. I don't remember if he's dead or not. You know, it could just be that Centralia PD, maybe they maybe they do know or have a strong opinion, thinking like it's absolutely this guy, but we have no evidence and he's already in prison. Yeah. So case closed, kind of. Yeah. Now I still do like the all night hitchhiker bang fest theory. I do like the all night hitchhiker bang fest theory as well because the Why did he stay the night why at the Wom residence? That's the weirdest thing like you don't you you don't pick up the hitchhiker for the day either like that's a weird thing i know and you don't drive out of town to pick up the hitchhiker you are driving through a place pick up a hitchhiker and even then they don't come home with you yeah i mean it seems like by all accounts uh juan was going to the dutch pantry in mount vernon like we said uh to just have breakfast and or lunch with the person that he was with but then they together mm-hmm. pick up a hitchhiker and bring him back which uh, like i don't even think i i do think we have a name of who he went with but he's never mentioned in the investigation again which i think is also interesting because this person spent at least 30 minutes in a car with a prime suspect yeah that was the found. thing is that like no one could say anything about quinn devon like why he was where he was headed why he was in town just that he was a hitchhiker and he had red hair and he looked to be anywhere from 25 to 40 which is insane and like there was no and it was like you spent all this time with this man you spent 30 minutes in a car with this man or or your father introduced you to this man who stayed in your home. You don't have any information about this person. This Irish Jack Kerouac, apparently, who <laughs> this, just like wants to take like a ride random down. Random Irishman coming through Centralia with no on the night of a murder. Yeah, no one's <laughs> right. Like, like no you can remember how gonna... tall he was, but you can't remember like any of his hopes, dreams, goals. Yeah. Well, apparently he was a professor of English. Oh wait. Journalism, you know, specifically. Journalism. Yeah, 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 journalism. Okay. Which, like, okay, what story are you looking into, buddy? Like, why Where are, are you, you why here? Are you in America, why are you hitchhiking? And more specifically, like What's... America. Okay, cool. I get it. Like, there are a lot of resources here. Centralia. Centralia. How Illinois? did you end up here? Salem? How did you end up in Mount Vernon? Mount Vernon. Sandoval. Yeah. Oh, and all the guns. 
They found so many guns in Sandoval. They did. They found a lot of discarded guns thrown from a car from from a vehicle in Sandoval that they assumed were thrown from a vehicle, and they matched the ballistic, or they didn't match the ballistics, but they were twenty two caliber. So. And they argued that they had, like, all cleared whatever investigation they were doing to connect them to the murder. Yeah. Before they all went missing. Before they all went missing. Because Guys, this is a mess, and I invite you to do your own research. <laughs> but if you need, like, a bloody handkerchief or a used gun, you can absolutely get one from the Centralia Police Department. Yeah, apparently. Like, they you can are just go there and buy hawking them. them. So, in the end... We don't know who killed John Shakespeare. No. We are pretty much no closer than we were when we started researching it, which is frustrating. Yeah. And what's interesting is that there are some people who don't, who won't talk about it. Mm-mm. And yeah, including the police station. The police station will not talk about it. I had, uh, I had two friends who I will not mention their names because mm-hmm. I don't want to get them in trouble who one of them is a correction, corrections officer. The other is a police officer. I had them ask around. And they were basically told to mind their own business. Yeah, don't ask about that. Yeah, they essentially. They were basically being told if you look into this, it's mm-hmm. going to affect, it's going to reflect negatively on you. Yeah. It seems like, I mean, it doesn't seem like it absolutely is. Someone knows who did it, whether it's the police or someone who has enough power to someone who coerce has enough the power police to coerce the police. Up. Yeah. Someone knows who did it, and it's it's absolutely being covered up. Yeah. And even if it was, you know, if it was like a parent who killed the wrong guy, took it out on, or, or killed him for molesting the children, the police are covering it up for that reason, mm-hmm. because they believe that it was a justified killing. Regardless, it's being covered up by someone. Yeah. And no one in the town will talk about it. And you can, I mean, you can empathize with, police in that situation because for the the same reason that male victims don't tend to come out about the victimization ever Mm -hmm. just like the percentages are just insane yeah they're pretty crazy i mean it's insane for any act of sexual assault or rape or child molestation but it definitely seems to be a stronger population of men who will not speak on it after it's happened and so maybe the police thought that they were protecting the victim by not releasing all that they knew about that like i can see that being a narrative Mm -hmm. that seems more compassionate than what we have seen uh when we keep looking into how they handled this case and some of the interviews that were done and when they were being investigated, some of the things that came out because there was absolutely embezzling happening. There were yeah. like racially there was a rough period for the Centralia police department. Yeah, Cause there was a whole um, like police beating of two black men that became central in that investigation because it was very, very clear that these men had not warranted any uh, force at all attack. whatsoever. Wow. And it, they were beaten quite to a pulp oh good so i'm glad nothing's changed since uh the 70s for the police force in america same boat we just (laughs) actually talk about it yeah how do you want to wrap this up oh okay so i have oh because i always listen and i your guests tend to not have sign-offs ready (laughs) well hold on before we get to the sign-off we have to say the truth is out there the truth is out there somewhere Keep looking. Keep looking for it. I'm going to keep looking. I'm going to keep looking and I'm going to update you guys as we go. Like if we find like something big, I will add it to the episode. I want to look into Switzerland. I want to look into the house that he had. I do want to look into the property he had in Switzerland, but like how? 
and and that organization because one of the organizations he wanted to donate to was a uh, Swiss organization, and it had something to do with like non Keynesian uh, economics. Like that was specifically an interest that he had what? that he wanted. Yeah, it what was does like that mean? okay. So I I looked into it, but now I kind of forget which is which. But they somewhere you get into like trickle down. Like that's I see. Okay. Then, like the oh, argument okay. against, but I can't remember if that's non Keynesian or if that's Keynesian. But I will look. I promise that I'll correct myself later <laughs> on that. Uh, <laughs> just like I'm feeling very ignorant right now, but I'm also not an economist. But that was one of his main interests and what. Whatever institute he wanted to donate to in Switzerland promoted that, but also kind of sounded like it was maybe a school or maybe it was a place where kind of like it, it didn't sound un- impossible that it was just another one of those things. Dormitories with chicken hawks and chickens. And I'm still resistant to necessarily insinuate that John Shakespeare is involved in any of those enterprises. He could have just been an eccentric rich man who died and mm-hmm. in, in searching for an explanation that was yeah. never found. Centralia came up with a lot of mythos for mm-hmm. it. And it could have simply been that he was a gay man in 1975. Yeah, and somebody decided to murder him. Like This could just be like a Matthew Shepard kind of situation. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the show oh man thank you for having me john shakespeare thank you for um doing a summer's worth of research with me this is honestly (laughs) getting to have some hours to just talk to you like this is the best part of my week month everything like i whenever we get a chance to sit down and talk it (laughs) is just like the best thing ever i know it's so much fun and luckily i mean is it more fun when we're talking about murder i don't know it seems to be what we tend to talk about <laughs> so true. i don't it's know if it's really more fun different than like the norm we we don't have a control we don't know what it would be like without very true we don't have the yeah we don't have the control group i guess like i guess whatever we talk about with my parents mm, true which, <laughs> which definitely is isn't murder, not murder. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways listeners i'm not gonna go through the whole spiel of follow us on this follow us on that because i think you one know it by now and two this was a special edition true crime investigation. The sign-off is obviously there's no, there's place, no place like home. Especially when your hometown is riddled with murder. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Please, when I click my heels together, don't take me home, though. Don't take me home. Like, there's no place like home, but also you don't have to go there. <laughs> yeah, there's no place like the home that I made when I left here. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's the truest thing. And keep it weird. For now, Steven, what's our sign off? Okay, so I have five options. Am I allowed to go through them? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. So the first one is there's no place like home. Oh my god, that's hilarious. Right? Thank you. Okay, the second one is always take an initial body temp. Because yes. I think that's the moral of the story. Yeah, I feel like what the fuck. We we can at least like we can at least whittle down the options. Please go on. Okay, the third one's a bit of a stretch. Ludicrous forgot to mention that you can in fact turn a hoe into an alibi. Okay. The fourth one is this episode has been brought to you by ADT. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, the last one is LOL. You wild Centralia. What oh you doing God. though? <laughs> I mean, obviously, there's no place like home. I love the sign off. 